What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike, and today we have a full panel. We have Lore Runner. Uh, everybody should know him by now, but if you don't, check him out on YouTube, Lore Runner, on Twitch, Lore Runner, and even his website, which is, is it theloreRunner.com? No, it's just Lore Runner. Just loreRunner.com. I uh, want to give a quick intro to uh, what you do. I am a really boring guy. Uh, I talk way too much about fiction in general, Star Trek, Star Wars, video games, uh, books, comic books, you name it. Awesome. Thank you for being with us. We also have uh, Eric and Hat from the Phoenix Edge RPG podcast. You guys want to introduce okay. yourselves real quick? Sure. My name's Hat, and uh, as Mike said, we have a YouTube video RPG podcast. Uh, it's spelled P-H-O-E-N-I-X. I don't know what we were thinking for an RPG podcast. It definitely should have been the Final Fantasy VI spelling. That's our yeah, with, the, with the F, baby. <laughs> yeah, you know, after we created it, I think that occurred to us that that was a terrible idea, but what are you going to do? So we're sticking with it. We're committed, but uh, we're Phoenix Edge RPG Podcast. You can find us on YouTube, and, you know, we do some other things, game streams, uh, game discussions, those types of things. So check and us out. I'm Eric, and I like video games. That's that's all you need to be uh, relevant to this discussion <laughs> and today. I, I am I, I am the co-host of Phoenix Edge uh, with Hat, and every week we're on discussing whatever the latest RPG gossip is, or you know, gushing over whatever retro title uh, that we decided to get into for the week. Uh, but uh, that's about it for me. I'm just kind of the side part of that. <laughs> Can listen to two hours of us bickering. all right guys thanks for being on with us and uh our two other guests are just some super rad dudes from uh my discord server we've got tom w what's up and uh dude mcguy how do you want us to refer to you here is dude mcguy or do you want us to call you by your name or Uh, oh whatever whatever whatever's best i know dude mcguy is kind of uh long (laughs) i I like it i like it i actually am not sure what your what your name is well you can go by a dude i guess if you want or dude we'll call you the dude that that works for me (laughs) you can call me tom hey and tom okay so that's everybody here casein can't be with us today um his wife uh, gave birth just a couple days ago to their second child a boy he's super healthy doing really well um, so congratulations to him. He'll be back with us probably in a couple weeks. That's awesome. Um, but until then, uh, E3 just happened this week. I don't know if anyone was aware of that, but, uh, Oh crap. I missed that. E- E3 happened. <laughs> Is that what we're talking about today? And I, and I guess a lot of people apparently wanted to know my thoughts on things regarding it. I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, so I haven't really had a chance to say much except for like one or two things on Twitter that excited me. So I want to jump into it and, uh, and let you guys know what I think about stuff. So, um, while we have, well, let's just, let's just do this first before we get into it. Let's warm up a little bit. I want, uh, everyone to kind of go down the line and let me know what was your favorite announcement of the conference, uh, game announcement or, console announcement or anything that happened that was your favorite we'll start with eric move on to hat move on to we our our order here in the in the google (laughs) chat we'll go down the order left to right oh it's a tough call for me but 
Uh, in terms of just like a new announcement, not just announcement of something else, because I, I loved the hell out of that Shadowbringers FF14 trailer. Uh, the ending part of that uh, it was a little spoilerific and just blew me away. <laughs> um, I'm still contemplating it, but um, in terms of new, I definitely have to go with the Breath of the Wild 2 because mm. um, I, when I saw that, like I was thinking like, oh, they're going to give us some Majora's Mask dark like sequel to Breath of the Wild, which they did claim to be on a, in an interview that they say this is going to be like one of the darkest Zeldas they've ever made. And it's just going to be a big improvement on everything from Breath of the Wild, which, in my opinion, was already a near-perfect game for me. So mm. being able to put another 400 hours to 100% and again <laughs> is going to feel fantastic. Nice. How about you, Hat? So in the same spirit, something that's new that I didn't expect to appear, I'd have to say The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt coming to Switch I saw the rumor going around. I did not think that was true. I was vehemently against the idea that this could possibly be on the Switch for multiple reasons, from the SD card size to the fact that even getting that to run on the Switch, I just didn't understand that that would even be possible. I'm not saying it's going to be a good port of the game, but I was really, really excited when I saw that happen. I, I was I actually jumped out of my chair for a moment because I just didn't expect that. So I thought that was really, really cool. Nice. Lord. Well, I'm going to give you two answers because I'm, I talk too much. <laughs> My first answer is going to be Trials of Mana, both of them, because mm. the Mana collection coming out on Switch that day, which I bought within minutes, was something I was completely not expecting. And I've been saying for years that SD3 is the best Mana game, and I stand by that statement. And the remake, of course, oh, God, I, I, it looks like they took the Psalm remake ideas and actually learn from them because there was an issue mm -hmm. that game but if we want to mm -hmm. go with something new something that is actually new that caught my attention i'm going to go with starmancer which I, i'd be i'd be amused if any of you even know what i'm talking about uh yeah i have no idea <laughs> it's a game that was announced during the pc gaming show and it's ah. a dwarf fortress set on a space station with roguelike elements and i the end you know i'm sold it looks really really good <laughs> nice that's awesome Alright, sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, all right, the dude. Let me next. Well, yeah. I'm gonna echo what Lore Runner just said, but for a different reason. Um I've actually never played Second and Sensu three. Oh However, really? never <gasps> played. Please crap. please go easy on me in the comments. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap. I know okay, I, man. I'm I RPG sinned right now, but um, <laughs> yeah, I've never played it before, despite playing Secret of Mana probably half a dozen times mm. um, because I only played that game with my friend, like a good friend when I was growing up. And so we didn't really have the knowledge or the means to emulate the, the, mm. the Japanese sequel, you know? So yeah. I'm hoping I, now that it's actually out, I can kind of reconnect with that person actually and play it and kind of relive the good times. That really was the best way to play those mana games is with with a buddy or something like that or you know brothers or siblings or whatever. Yeah. Um, had a, so much fun playing Secret of Mana and taking this through uh, both. Yeah, I almost I almost went out uh, and uh, emulated it myself just to play it, but I have so many memories of just playing it with friends, the Secret of Mana, that yeah. when I sat down to do it, I was just like, this is not the same. You know, mm -hmm. so I kind of want to pull them Get back somebody. 
pull them back in. Yeah. Well, it's too bad that uh, Laura, you already have been playing it, right? There's no online. No, I totally haven't been playing. Yes, there's no online <laughs> features whatsoever. Unfortunately, that's, that's too bad because that would have been amazing. It would have. I, I was looking for stuff like that and like all the features and everything they have. Uh, besides that, it's an awesome port. I mean, yeah. it uh, mm. it's got the same load states, different um, screen sizes, and it, the frame rate is just like perfect. That's great. Yeah. Not having that feature is a little baffling to me because the remake that came out a year and a half ago, the mediocre one, in my opinion, it didn't have that either. And that was a big complaint among the fans that, hey, this is the way I enjoyed the game. Why can't I play it that way now? And um, that online co-op feature. And so the fact that like this doesn't have that is kind of perplexing. But you've got to be grateful that it was just not a mess of a port from Square Enix for once. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true that. All right, Tom, what was yours? Okay, so everyone's given really great answers already. In fact, I just looked up that Starmancer game, and that looks really great. I'm a huge I, Dwarf, it, doesn't it? Doesn't I'm a it? huge Dwarf Fortress fan already, so I'm, I'm pretty into that. But uh, I think what I'm actually going to have to say is uh, the Panzer Dragoon remake, because mm. I've recently become a pretty massive Panzer Dragoon fan, I just played through the whole series. It's like Saga immediately went into my top 10 RPGs of all time easily. Oh, wow. And I'm, yeah, I'm just in love with it. And I saw, I saw the footage for that remake and it, it, it looks surprisingly faithful to me at a glance, you know, the, the art style, the colors, everything. It, it just, it looks right to me. So I was, I was a little worried about that when I first heard about the remake being announced, but now I'm uh, I'm a little more excited for it. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where they go with that, where they go with uh, Zvi, and uh, hopefully we can see Saga someday see the light of day again. That would be yes. awesome. If that Panzer Dragoon sells well, then it's inevitable the ones like the uh, Sega Saturn ones and the Xbox One will come out right after it. Mm. I hope so because I, I actually liked I really like Panzer Dragoon Orta. Yeah, I haven't played Orda, actually. I said I played through the whole series, but I haven't played through Orda. Um, so uh, I've heard good things, though. Definitely want to play it sometime. Nice. For me, uh, it was definitely the Mana Collection, or as they're calling it, the Collection of Mana. Uh, I remember hearing that this was coming out to the Switch in Japan a couple years ago. It was around the time that they announced this Secret of Mana remake. And I remember watching the footage for the Secret of Mana remake and being like, hard pass. I want the collection. I want the original games on the Switch. Please bring that instead. And there was no word on it, and there was no word on it. And, I mean, of course, I also really wanted an official localization of Seiken Densetsu 3. That's what I really wanted yeah. uh, more than anything. And what's, what's so great about the fact that they're bringing it that they announced it at this time is that they're also doing the the trials of mana remake 3d remake which no. i i'm open to but what i'm super happy about is that they're providing the option to get the mana collection instead if you'd rather play yeah. the original yeah. and to me or, or the, you could buy both or you could get them both i mean it's but the, the options there uh, that's what i really like about mm -hmm. it is that instead of just bringing us the trials of mana remake 
they're also allowing you to get the Mana Collection. And that, to me, was just super surprising. I, I did not see that coming. I had almost like given up hope that they would ever do that. <laughs> and uh, so that was that was definitely my favorite announcement of the entire conference. I was thinking that they would at least announce it, but I didn't think it would come out the same day. I was thinking like they're going to announce it and be like sometime fall 2019. No, it's like no right now. So like I was at work yeah. immediately for lunch, went home, bought it, it, like, yeah. downloaded it. I'm like, I've never played the third one. I've always been telling myself I should. And now's the perfect opportunity. See, was, I'm, I'm the- a little bit, I'm a little bit upset because when they showed that they would have a pre-order for a physical copy, I figured they would both be released on the same day. Uh-huh. So I just went and pre-ordered the physical copy because I wanted to, for the first time, have the opportunity to buy Seiken Densetsu 3. And so I pre-ordered it, but it's not coming out till like the end of August. And the, the game's <laughs> already available right now. And I'm like, I'm not buying it twice. It's 40 bucks. They want you yeah, to, though. I bought it twice. <laughs> I, might, I might have to. I don't know. We'll see. Because I really want to play it, but at the same time, it's just like, man, like, they they duped me. I, I wish that you could buy the physical copy. Well, I don't know if that would actually be reasonable to expect, but I, I have proof I bought it. But no, because anyways, I won't go on with that. Uh, I would like to be able to play the game that I just bought, but I will have to wait unless on, I buy it again. On a similar point, though, the, the remake as well, just... When I saw that trailer, it looks much more polished, and that actually oh, yeah. looks like something I would actually want to play. I was mm-hmm. very surprised that it, it seems a much higher budget than you're talking uh, about the remake, right? Correct. Yeah, Japan yeah. must have a bigger fondness for the third game because they put no effort in remaking the second game. <laughs> the second one was yeah. terrible, yeah. or the first one, really. That that is true, though. Like you look at just kind of the production value, the quality of it. I do think it looks to be like much higher than the secret of mana uh remake did so that that is nice i, I am looking forward to learning more about it in the future yeah. if you happen to watch the oh, what do they call it the treehouse they actually showed some real gameplay too which oh i haven't seen it yet legitimately good I, I won't spoil but you know no you go watch it okay I'll, I'll have to do that after this i didn't realize that they had actually done a playthrough on treehouse oh i have to check that also i didn't know that so much stuff to keep up with you know, with e3 while you're mm-hmm. also trying to freaking work full time <laughs> crazy that's the reason i didn't like do any streaming during the last couple of days i've had like this project going on but anyways don't bore you with that so um okay i was going to ask another warm-up question but i think we're good let's actually jump into right now i think the thing that i've been requested most to talk about which is the Final Fantasy VII Remake. None of us picked that, which I think is probably telling, as their, <laughs> their favorite announcement uh, from the conference. So, you know, that I don't know if that says anything, but um, there's been lots and lots of discussion uh, in the Discord. I've been following that. For, for those of you who are part of my Discord, I, I chat very rarely in there, but I do watch it almost all the time. I have it open and I'm watching what you guys are saying. So I'm, I'm this overlord of the discord that knows all, <laughs> but only, but only when it's necessary, do I actually insert myself and, uh, you know, talk, but great anyways, lurker. yes, I'm a lurker. That's, that's exactly what I am. So that being said, um, I'll save my thoughts for it last. Let's go down the line again in the same order. 
and uh, you guys let me know what your thoughts are on on especially although there's a couple of things that we it's so hard because they said so much but we it, it just always feels so vague they're like mm -hmm. there's still so much to speculate about right that's exactly but, what I said yeah. in the in our podcast was yeah Square mm -hmm. Enix is so good at giving so much yet giving nothing at the same time right but what we do know is the first game is going to be Midgar. We finally have confirmation of that. It is going to be Midgar. And apparently, it is supposed to be as long or have as much content as any regular main series Final Fantasy game. Well, I'm hold going on. To make... do, we, do we actually have confirmation that the, the entire first game is Midgar? Or is it just yes. the first disc? Yes. Or... yes. No, yeah, no, no. It's confirmation okay. for sure that the whole game is Midgar. Yes. Okay. Okay, so that means I'm going to make this assumption as a baseline assumption for us to discuss. If you guys disagree with the premise of it, let me know. This is going to be 40 to 60 hours of Midgar. Maybe. I I have been replaying Final Fantasy VII leading up to, the, to E3 so that it would be fresh in my mind. I took my sweet freaking time talking to every NPC, really taking it slow. I actually found some stuff I hadn't seen before, which was nice. It, I beat it in five hours. <laughs> Midgar was five hours long when you take your time. So I'm guessing this is 35 generously to 50 hours of additional Midgar content that was not in the original game. So that being the baseline, what do you guys feel about what you saw at the conference? Let's start with Eric. I mean, this is... I was expecting a lot more new information, but the only real new information we got was really the release date and how Tifa is designed. Those are really the two big things, but um, of course we got a little deeper look into the combat, and the combat does look fascinating. It does look like it can be fun. I'm just kind of hoping that it doesn't get too cluttered the more abilities and more th uh, obstacles that you have to deal with down the road. But at least on the uh, base level, the combat looks really good. Um, in terms of your comment about Midgar, I, I suppose I'm cool with that because I think a thing in my head I've always told myself is I've always wanted to see more of Midgar. So I think the developers might be a little onto something. When uh, we've been to, like, what, Sector 7, Sector 5, uh, the Shinra building, uh, Sector 8 at the beginning of the game, uh, we didn't really explore too much of Midgar. We didn't really experience the contrast between the uh, people who live up on the upper plate and the people who live on the lower plate. So mm -hmm. if they're doing a reimagining, I really feel like this is a good opportunity to really get to know how Midgar works, like how people live prosperous or how people live in poverty and how Shinra as a corporation really takes control of everything. And I think that's something I'm actually looking forward to. But when people say like, oh, if they made like the first five hours of the game into a 35 to 40 hour game, then like how are they gonna how many parts is this game gonna have? And then I I think to myself, probably still like three to four games at most, because while they may take like 40 to 50 hours in Midgar or whatever, that doesn't mean that the rest of the game that they're gonna be like at calm for the first for 15 hours. Like they may like take the whole journey aspect to the Temple of the Ancients as a second game. 
or then like a third game just like go on trails after that. I think they I think in particular they probably really wanted to focus on Midgar uh as a first game, then kind of go on the usual FF7 pace after that. Mm-hmm. So that's really what I take out of it. But on another note, yes, they're vague. They're so vague about everything. The the game's coming out in two thousand uh March two thousand twenty. So that's a little over half a year till we get the game. And how they manage to still be vague and not direct and like just like be ready to answer these type of questions is a little baffling because I've read a couple of interviews and they just keep dancing around each question or they just straight out say, we don't know. We didn't plan that far. But um, I will say overall, I'm excited for the game, but I'm not that excited <laughs> just to say but um that, that's all my thoughts for now all right hat where you at oh boy okay <laughs> so i i look at this whole the entirety of how this thing has come about and i have so many mixed feelings in some ways when i watched the e3 presentation there were things about it that I thought were actually better than the original. I like the fact that we see these characters taking a moment to really let it sink in what they're doing, right? They show that, okay, is this really the right thing to do to blow up reactors? There's mm-hmm. innocent people involved. I think that's actually better than the original. And I think that we need more moments like that. And I like that. And I totally like the idea of fleshing out these characters that we didn't really get to spend much time with. I think it's, a great idea to spend more time with them. So that way when they depart the game, it's a little more impactful, but at the same time, come on two Blu-ray discs worth of content. This is ridiculous. I mean, it's Midgar, right? So again, the first five hours of the game, I want to see 15 hours. Maybe that would be great. 18 hours, but 40 to 50 hours in a single city, I, I just really don't like that. Now, I'm going to give it a chance. I don't want to be too negative towards it. I, I really like the combat that I saw and uh, some other things along with it. But I think as far as criticisms go, uh, that's the main thing is just I can't believe that this game is going to be completely Midgar. But also, I think that because it is going to be Midgar, they felt obligated to somehow jam Sephiroth in there. And I really don't like every scene that I've seen with him in, which I guess at this point has only been two, but uh, you know, in the final scene in the the trailer for E3, you see Sephiroth and he's standing there almost like organization 13 from kingdom hearts. And he's got his hand outstretched towards cloud and he's like beckoning cloud to hold the anger. And, and it just felt very kingdom heartsy to me. And it just felt really cheesy to me. And I, you know, that original game, I really liked the reveal of Sephiroth. I like the fact mm-hmm. that we didn't really get to know Sephiroth, how Cloud currently understood him, that he thought he was a monster, that he hated him. It was actually kind of uh, quiet about Sephiroth. And uh, the only thing we knew was that he was a very revered uh, warrior, that he went away for a while. And, you know, in many ways, we got to learn and appreciate Sephiroth, I think, the way that Cloud did when he joined Soldier and he looked up to him. And so that moment when, you know, he breaks you out of prison and everything like that, and shortly after that, you find out it's the exact opposite. He's actually a very evil character. It was uh, quite a twist, I remember, when I first played it. And the fact that when I watched this trailer and I see Sephiroth with 
you know, these, these evil eyes just beckoning cloud to hold the anger in his heart. It's just, I just don't like that take on it. And I sometimes wonder if maybe the decision to make this all Midgar was because they were under so much pressure to get the game out that after they brought it back from CyberConnect 2, they thought, okay, how can we finish this quickly and still be quality? And I'm not a game developer, but I suspect that it's easier to create a massive world that's the same type of environment than to create, you know, uh, a desert and then a, a snowy area and all these caves and all these different beaches and everything. You know, Midgar is a very, very similar to very uh, even tone to the entire thing. And I just wonder if maybe they thought, okay, let's flesh this entire thing out. Let's get the game out. Let's get people pumped about this. And then we're going to figure out later what we're going to do. And I think that's the final point. I just don't like the way that they're marketing this, or at least in the interviews, when people ask them questions, they can't even answer them. You know, when they say, okay, there's two Blu-ray discs of content, are you adding any new story beats? And Katasi says, no, I'm. it's still sticking to the original script, basically. We're just adding little tidbits. Two Blu-ray discs worth of content for Midgar, you're adding a ton of story. And that's not even a bad thing, but the fact that, like, they're not being honest about that. And, you know, the, the fact that they don't even know how many games this is going to be, I just feel that, you know, the first game's going to come out and people are going to want to experience 40 to 50 hours with some of the other main cast. Are we going to get 40 to 50 hours with Sid, you know, once we're on the third game? I, I think that at some point, you know, one of these episodes is going to get uh, cheesed <laughs> in an effort to finish it. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm just, I'm not saying it's not going to be good. I'm just worried, I guess. And uh, I am looking forward to it, but I am worried. So All off right, my soapbox. Let's hear it. What do you got? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say that I've been I've actually been mentally truncating my notes. I have six pages of notes over here on the screen. That's not a joke. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> because I want to do a qui- I want to do a quiet plug here. I'm going to be discussing E3 at length with Rax, who's actually in chat right now. Uh, this coming lore week, which is 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on my channel. That's my usual. Shout out to Rex Simus. Yeah, Rex is awesome. But anyway, so yeah, we're going to be doing a far more in depth look at this then. But for right now, I want to hit a few beats. First of all, I actually agree with Hat on one thing, although he's probably not, <laughs> it's probably not what you're thinking. It's the corporate side of things. I guarantee mm-hmm. you that they have been screwed over by the corporate side of things. Absolutely, 100%. That this is a situation in which they were, it was, the announcement was way too early, years too early. They shouldn't have been, oh, look, we're working on FF7R. That was what, three years ago now? Four. Four. Yeah, Excuse four me. Years. Excuse me. Four years ago now, point made. That should never have happened. And now, of course, there's so much pressure to push it forward and actually get it out. And that, of course, leads to the idea of, okay, let's just let's just stretch out Midgar. <laughs> Although I should also point out that it's not actually on two Blu-rays. That was a translation error. Oh, was oh, okay. it? Yeah, it's, it's two Blu-rays worth of content is how he basically phrased it. And the translator thought he meant it was literally going to be on two discs. What is that even but mean? the size of the content is still the same, though, right? Uh, theoretically now that brings me to my next point i just want to make a prediction really quick and i want to make it somewhere other than my own channel i bet the game's going to be 20 hours give or take um, that would seen... that would make sense yeah, a I lot agree. more sense mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, I, then how how would, <laughs> what would how would you interpret and maybe this was a translation issue as well how would you interpret the idea that it's supposed to be or contain as much content or be similar to a, a, a main series final fantasy game then I actually do I have a direct answer for that idea, though. I do, because the idea is either, A, they really are going to be adding that substantial amount to it, 
combined with a little bit of marketing spin, you know, the exaggeration effect, right? So yeah. it, it's 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 a full game kind of. It's like three fourths of a game, you know, that kind of a thing. Or two, and this is the other reason I brought up the twenty hour thing. This is my biggest fear by far. I, I I've reviewed a lot of RPGs on, in my professional career, and one of the most common problems with them is padding. Yeah, way too many cutscenes that don't need to be there. Way too many pauses in between dialogue, uh, <laughs> cinematic direction that just takes way too long to happen. Far too many encounters, or far too high of a frequency of encounters, or far too much HP on enemies or on bosses, and blah blah blah. It just stretches the game out to a game that should be fifteen to twenty hours is suddenly a seventy-hour game. Mm -hmm. That is my biggest worry by far for what they're doing with F seven. And well, I mean, we saw that boss plinking away at him for two and three HP at a time, unless we stagger him, in which case we hit him for three to four. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, the boss fight with the, the guard scorpion just took way, 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 way too long, and it was edited down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm down with those kind of boss fights. I, I completely am. The kind of uh, gimmicky, MMO-y, whatever you want to call it, the Zelda-style boss fight. I love that. But that fight, I think that enemy has too much HP. Maybe they were just showing stuff off. That's entirely possible. You know, maybe they're just trying to show each little bit of the fight. But if that fight actually takes that long while edited, that, in my opinion, is going to showcase the problem, the, the padding problem, right? Mm -hmm. Next thing I want to hit really quick here. I love the idea of new cutscenes. I love the idea of fleshing out stuff. Specifically that, you know, adding adding nuance, adding layers, adding brush strokes. I'm totally down with that, especially as a creator. i got to be 100% honest. If I was in charge of FF7R, I'd do the same thing. My biggest worry is, again, this is actually, I'm, I'm right with Hat on this. Sephiroth should not be in Midgar at all. Or if he, should, if he is, he should have an extremely low presence. Name dropped. That's it. I think I, we I, all agree with that. Yeah. I, 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 I think they're, they're misstepping that. And I'm actually going to do a full analysis just on the scene where Aerith suddenly sees the black crap. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's another scene that made me go, what? The yeah. heartless Holy cloud or crap. whatever. Yeah, yeah. it's just. Okay, so That's are the they jumping thing on the so far, yeah. Are they jumping yeah. on the geostigma arc, or is this just? Oh boy, yeah. I, I don't even know. And so. That's my thoughts on it. I've, I've much more to say that'll be coming a little week, but I want to cut this off. So that's my thoughts right there. Okay, uh, dude, what's up? Well, uh, I would say I'm leaning more on the optimistic side, just mm -hmm. right off the bat, based on what I've seen. Um, I do agree with Lore Runner that. The game is probably going to be in the 20 to 25 hour range. That's my guess. And I think they're going to get away with it because they're saying it's a full length game, right? Well, if you compare it to other action titles, which they're branding this as pretty much an action game, right? That would be like a full length game by that metric, right? Like an action title. So like a God of War, like a Devil May Cry, right? Those games, if they hit the around the 20-hour mark, people are generally satisfied, right? They're saying, like, I got my fill, you know, of this. Sure. And then they go back and they replay the game. Um, another thing is I think the environments are just going to be much larger, right? Like you said, you replayed through um, uh, the Midgar section in about five hours, right? Yeah. But... Like I'm, I'm thinking back, and it's like a lot of those screens are like one or two screens long, right? Mm -hmm. And you can get through them 
especially if there's no random encounters, you can just breeze through, right? Like those sure. screens you can get through really fast. Now they they still have a presence like in the 2D, you know, uh, pre-rendered background. They can still give the feeling of a very large area because you have a small character moving on a, you know, a large screen. Sure. But they can't take that same approach in a full 3D HD game. So, like we've already seen um, in the bombing mission, just just from what we've seen, they're giving you a 20-minute timer to escape. And the original game, you had 10. Mm, So if they take that same kind of framework or methodology for the whole, for for all of Midgar, they just say, hey, we need to make it twice as long to get through every single area, right? You've just turned a five-hour Midgar city into 10 hours like that, right? Then you add, yeah, yeah, then you add um, episode Jesse, if you will, you know, this little (laughs) side quest like it looks to you're on a motorcycle with her. You're doing some kind of helping her with the uh, fake IDs or something. That would be my, my guess. Mm. You do that for Jesse Biggs and wedge. You've added another three hours. And then after that, I'm drawing a blank. I can't help. Him. I can't help him. After <laughs> Where did the hours. extra 20 hours come from? <laughs> I mean, so, so, there's there have... seven extra hours out there somewhere that they're going to do something like a trip up to the plate. I think like Eric was saying could be interesting, but yeah. You could like throw in Johnny's story too. If you remember him. Yeah. Tifa's friend. Yeah. But I can't, I'm, I'm, I agree that like after 25 hours, I can't see there being much meaningful content after that. Right. You're going to get, um, you're going to get like a boss rush mode somewhere, I'm guessing. Like maybe after you've beaten the game, you mm-hmm. can go back and there will be like a building you can enter and just fight all the bosses like back to back to back. That's like a pretty common like action type of game thing to put in your like end game content for an action game. Sure. They will count that, right? They will say like that's another hour of content in this full <laughs> full game right so that's okay. that's my guess yeah anything else or is that uh you the base of your thoughts well i will echo the thoughts about sephiroth in in midgar even though mm-hmm. i'm pretty optimistic about the game i think that is a mistake i can see maybe like try and rationalize like what they're thinking they may be thinking the surprise that happened at the Shinra building with Sephiroth is out of the bag, right? Uh, any everyone who's a like a general gamer knows that Sephiroth is the villain of this game, right? Yeah. And they may they may be thinking it would actually be more disappointing to to the general gaming audience to play a FS7 remake that people have been wanting since the PS3. And to have no Sephiroth in there whatsoever. I guarantee that's the reason why they're doing it. Yeah. Guaranteed. Can I yeah. introduce one quick idea real quick? Sure. So, Mike, I know, and I don't know if anyone else here has, but uh, Mike, I know you've read uh, the Game of Thrones series, right? And mm-hmm. so was it still enjoyable when you saw the Red Wedding on television, even though you already knew that was going to happen? 
I actually watched the television show before going back. To oh, okay. Novels, so, so. With the, but you, that's my general point is that I, I think that like the fact that, you know, this is going to happen is part of the appeal. It, it doesn't ruin the moment as long as it's ex- executed well. So okay, that's can just I what I want to get across. Something that's to true. that real quick. I think before we get to Tom. Yeah. Uh, Eric, go. Okay. So the thing that bothers me about the whole Sephiroth bit is be is that i've always kind of looked at it kind of like how a horror movie monster is like when mm-hmm. you first get like introduced to the idea of like sephiroth like you see the whole trail of blood and then you see like the katana on his back and you think to yourself what and, and all the scary music and everything that Genova mm-hmm. cell has broken out it's like you're you got this scary sense of oh no what is around us what could kill us at any moment there's some really powerful entity out there that we have no idea what his motives are or anything. So when we decide to chase him and then we get that flashback of how he was like before he started, you know, becoming the Sephiroth we knew now, and we got an idea of how powerful he was and we saw the Midgar Zolom get killed. So mm-hmm. it's kind of that horror movie monster. Like, um, like you're scared to actually meet him. So when you get like all the, and so when you actually reveal the Sephiroth, then it's like you get those chills, but like now they're going to take the remake and like mm-hmm. just put Sephiroth here and there, like like Hat said, like an organization member. Yeah. So it gonna, takes away that for me. They're going to try, but it's going to be impossible to completely replicate that scene. You know, if Sephiroth's all over Midgar and they're just showing him all over the place and he's already talking to Cloud and we're already seeing their relationship, like that's just not, it's not going to have the same, it's not going to be anywhere similar it's just gonna yeah so i i wonder how they're gonna try to pull that off but <laughs> Tom, anyway. what were what were your overall thoughts of uh what we well, saw five seven so i mean anybody who's in the discord is sick of hearing me talk but <laughs> uh <laughs> i uh i was definitely yeah there we go um so Raxarmus said something interesting. Well, actually, that I kind of wanted to echo Duke McKay and Lore in what they were saying about the game's length. Is Raxarmus said in the chat here, he said, we have to consider what they mean when they say the full game. Because you think of like an Uncharted game. I mean, that may be 10 to 15 hours long. And that's a full game. You even think of Final Fantasy 15. I mean, how long is Final Fantasy 15 if you don't do any of the side content like if you just go through the main story it's like like what the same like 15 hours long something like that and in fact uncharted i think is actually a good a good way to think about it because if you take the whole midgar scenario and if you were to structure that like an uncharted game i think you might actually come out in the end with about the length you would expect that kind of maybe 15 hours, maybe 20 hours. And I could totally see them pushing that as the idea of a full game in Midgar. Now, how does that fill two Blu-rays of space? I don't don't have a clue. In fact, that's just weird. I mean, if it's just one Blu-ray, how do you fill two Blu-rays of space? That's just weird language. I mean, this, the whole way they're speaking is in general has been really vague, really confusing and I think they're doing it on purpose to make us, you know, ask questions and be a little, you know, extra interested into it or maybe to avoid some backlash because 
if they just tell us straight up what they're doing, we're going to be like, what, why, why in the world are you doing that? Um, it's possible. But then you get these interviews like with Kitase, where he's saying things like, we don't know how long it's going to be. <laughs> and, you know, we don't know how many games this is going to be. And that leaves me sitting here like, what are you even doing? Do you have, like, if, if you don't know how many games it's going to be, then you haven't planned this out at all. Like, you're just taking this one game at a time. And that makes me think with that by the time we're done with all of this, they're going to, I think someone said earlier, you know, they're just going to be rushing to get this out by the time we're over because we're going to probably be almost through the PS5 generation. And, you know, the Square execs are going to be like, guys, what are you doing? We need to get this out. And we're probably going to have a similar situation to Final Fantasy 15, where you get to the latter half and it's just like, boom, we're just rushing through everything, cutscene, 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 and it's just like, what in the world happened? And the game's over. <laughs> and I, I think it's going to be a really similar situation to that once we get to the end of it. I, I really, I'm curious to see how they're going to pull that off, especially the outside Midgar section. And to me, it makes a little bit of sense. I can understand their logic in making Midgar its own contained area because the game is kind of that way. Once you leave Midgar, you don't come back until way later in the game. You know, when you when you drop down into the city, and even that's a relatively contained area that you're visiting. So I can kind of get that logic where you just leave Midgar in its own game and then do everything else later because you're not even going to be going back there. I don't have a clue how they're going to do that. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think what uh, what really got me to kind of lose all my, all my mental investment in this game was the fact that they are going to be changing things. And I don't mean just adding new things because... As I said earlier, you're saying like, you know, yeah, flesh out these characters, flesh out Avalanche, flesh out whatever, you know, add more dialogue, maybe some more scenes, like that's cool. But when you start adding entirely new content to it, like Sephiroth appearing all over Midgar or whatever, like that's com that's a complete change up of everything. I mean, that, that changes so much. Um, when you start, once you open that door, like everything, everything's on the table now. And I'm just not convinced that these guys can go off script and actually do a good job with it. And they've just shown, they've shown me time and time again over all these years, you know, after like FF12, you know, and FF12 was kind of the beginnings of this. Uh, they've just shown time and time again that, that they have a, they just have a really hard time being coherent and organized in their writing and their directing. And you see that in even in just every every game that's come out since Final Fantasy 13. Um, and I know a lot of people here will probably say that they, they liked Final Fantasy 13. I think the writing and directing in that game was atrocious. And I would say the same for Final Fantasy 15. And a lot of the games that have come out since, I'm, I've just, I've not seen I've not seen enough to convince me that they can do any better. And and I think of even the Final Fantasy VII compilation, you think of Crisis Core, Advent Children, This is the that's the kind of writing that these guys put out in that. And it's the same people. 
and they're working on this and they're adding new content. And uh, something that uh, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, if they're if they're doing that, then well, Crisis Core that's not off the table anymore. We could see Genesis come back. Oh, jeez! <laughs> in the mix, please no, please um, no! I beg nice. you, no but, Genesis. Uh, but um, actually, Don't worry, uh, Act won't allow it. Well, actually. Ra that's Raxim actually a good point Raximus, Raximus said something earlier yeah about GAC that's one thing but Raximus said something in the discord chat where he mentioned that it was said and I kind of remembered this but I've forgotten it was said that the compilation material is non-canon yeah, it's, it's been thrown out it's not canon so yeah. that may be true but they still made that stuff and I just don't I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to be able to go off script and not dive into the same sort of territory, the same tier of content. I'm, I'm really skeptical that they'll be able to do that. So I'm mostly non-optimistic on a narrative level. I've seen a lot of good things like the gameplay looks really cool, really interesting. Um, music, Uematsu, great, awesome. I'm a little concerned that it's all going to be orchestral. And we're because like when they were fighting that boss, that, you know, that boss name is straight up. It's pure prop rock. And he made that total orchestra. And that was a, a, a bit of a red flag there. I'm sure it'll still be great, but, uh, you know, I, I, have a, I have a love for his old, old prog rock style stuff. So that's a, a side tangent, but um, definitely on a narrative level, I'm, I'm more, I'm more, more unoptimistic than, than anything for all those reasons. I think that Tom brings up a very excellent point and that essentially they have not given us enough yeah. of an idea why, how this game could be so long and what kind of added content yeah. they have added. Uh, you know, this was the E3 before the game comes out and I still don't really know how the narrative is going to play out. I don't really know the premise. I mean, I mean, whether regardless of whether the, the areas are expanded and dungeons are longer, they are adding content and I want to know like the Jesse Biggs wedge. These are now main members of my final fantasy party. These are mainline characters. Now tell me about them. And I, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that this stuff is going to come later, but I want to know what is the, the basic idea of this game. Right. And I didn't really get that from this E3 presentation, but again, I guess the game is coming out in nine months. So I'm sure that there's going to be, more stuff that comes out later but i was expecting a lot more information regarding the story and the fact that uh how they're going to make this play out and I, I think that was one of the biggest questions on everyone's mind is the fact that it is episodic how is the story going to work mm -hmm. and they seem to focus a lot more on the gameplay which was great but uh, i'm hoping that we hear more about the story in the future yeah, they didn't even, like, show anything new. Like, say, this was never in the original game. You get to go to Sector 4 because of such and such. So here's a uh, here's a sneak, little sneak peek at, a, like, some new areas you've never been to. It's like, no, they keep showing the bombing mission, yeah. uh, parts of Sector 7, uh, like, people of Avalanche, and, like, that one time you're in the sewer with... Uh, Arizona. So maybe that's the reason they say they're going to stay on script. They're going to stay on script because it's, it's like you're going to the same places. We're doing the same general things, but we're also going to throw at you all this extra new cutscenes and new dialogue and whatever. 
I think they'd be doing this remake a huge disservice if they didn't explore the other parts of Midgar. Yeah. I, I know I know it may make it feel a little longer, but why are we going to have a whole game of Midgar and still only keep ourselves to the three sectors that yeah. we're allowed to in the game? Like, like, like I said, put us in other places. Like I said, I don't necessarily think it's a fair assumption to assume that this is going to be an ultra long game. Like, like I was comparing it to Uncharted. Like, if you structured the Midgar section in a similar manner, like you know, cutscene, mission, cutscene, mission, uh, I could totally see that them being able to stretch that out relatively easily to like 15 hours, maybe 20 hours if they added some extra side content. And to me, that doesn't seem that terrible, but they're still going to be changing a lot, you know. That's true, because you know when you say when he does say it's like a, it's gonna be like the length of a Final Fantasy game. I'm like, which? What Final did he actually Fantasy, say? FF15 that was where the main story was like 15 hours. Did he actually say it would be the length of a Final Fantasy game? Because I think in the E3 presentation he said be the of like a full standalone game in its own right. I think yeah, this, was a, this was an earlier quote, but it, he was he was saying that like. Each like each game would be like its own Final Fantasy length. Now, granted, this was a couple years ago. Okay. Well, that's not basing off, but um, to tack on to Eric's point, though, I did see an interview with him two days ago with IGN, or maybe it was yesterday. And the interviewer asked Katase, "Hey, you know, I like the Japanese audio track. Is that going to be available?" And this might may have been a translation error, but uh, the response was. Oh, yes, there'll be definitely be lots of audio tracks. You know, this is two Blu-rays worth of content, you know, so there's, there's going to be a lot no of content way, on there. There's no so, way that beast of a translator messed up. That dude was like on point in that interview. <laughs> that dude was a, that dude was awesome. So you saw that yeah. same interview then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually going to reference that real quick. I think we need to get moving a little bit here. Sure. Um, so I just want to offer a few thoughts of my own. Cue the who boy Cloud Strife gif. Because uh, uh, <laughs> my feelings are all over the place on this thing. Like when I when I saw the original teaser trailer a few weeks back, I was like thrilled about some very specific things. Mm. Laura is going to disagree with me heavily on this. I was very excited that Steve Burton was not voicing Cloud anymore. <laughs> I have I have never liked Steve Burton as Cloud. He, in my opinion, I, I won't go too heavy on Steve Burton. I I've done enough of that. I think. And, and he and, and Cody Christensen had a really nice back and forth on Twitter where they wished each other well and very professional, very classy. And so, you know, I, I don't want to like rag on Steve Burton, but in my opinion, he emoted one emotion that was that appeared to be a meta emotion of boredom, <laughs> not like what the character should actually feel. I've, I've just never, ever felt like he his voice fit or that he was actually feeling anything when he read those lines. And on top of that, as people have brought up, his um, his Cloud's portrayal in the compilation and in other games like Kingdom Hearts, I felt was so such a departure from who he was in the original game. And so Cody Christensen is really capturing that arrogant, confident, even if it's false pretense confidence of cloud from the beginning of the game so well that on top of the redesign of the character, it just felt so right to me. 
And so I think that maybe above all else in that original teaser, just like if you watch my reaction to it, my face is pretty, <laughs> pretty stern until you hear Cloud's voice and then it just lights <laughs> up. And from there on, I'm just like, oh, this looks great. I'm so excited. Holy crap. <laughs> and then I measure myself over a few days. I think about things more. And then we saw the the teaser before the day that Square Enix had their conference. And it was almost the exact opposite reaction. I was like, oh, cool. We're getting more. Um, I'm loving the, uh, uh, you know, the combat that we're seeing in this. I'll get into that in a minute. But then they show what people are calling the Dementors scene there at the end. And it's just like, wait, what the f- what what is this so i'll get back to that in a minute it was just like i couldn't believe it i could not believe that i that got me like completely on the flip side of being like oh boy here we go again (laughs) then they had i felt overall a stronger like more positives to take away than negatives when they actually did the longer conference where they sh- they got into more detail in the combat and mm-hmm. then they showed that longer version of the trailer which actually had final fantasy 7 music in it <laughs> i'm guessing arranged by uematsu composed by probably as well um really really loved those arrangements especially the percussion on the bombing mission music yeah. Um, I do agree with with Tom. It could use some guitars in there. It really could. I think that would make it a little stronger, but it's still moving great. in a good direction. I still yeah. really liked it. Still now, let, let's touch first a little bit on Kitase. Uh, you guys brought up some great points. I, I really appreciated uh, Lore, especially bringing up the fact it, it eases my mind a little bit. And, and Tom touched on this too. When they're referring it to being a full game, that doesn't necessarily mean like as we as RPG players, we tend to think 40 to 50 hours is, but it, it could very well be that 20 hour ish range. Mm-hmm. And I've been on record many times saying I prefer a game that's 20 hours over 50 hours any day of the week. I, sure. I like shorter games. I really do. Uh, uh, Chrono Trigger versus Xenoblade Chronicles X or something where <laughs> everything is just like focused tight. It's all relevant. There's no padding. Yeah. It's, perfection you're always engaged versus oh sorry you want to would you like to continue with the story you actually have to go to like these five things that are required before you can do that in xenoblade chronicles x sorry we're blocking you from continuing with the story until you go do this bullcrap uh busy work for a while i'm totally on board with all of the sentiments that have been shared on that and if that's what they mean by this, if if it's going to be very focused and you can get through this game in 15 to 20 hours, that will pretty much ease all of my uh, worries about them being too off script, as, as Tom is talking about. But I want to talk about Kitase, who I think is a really bad spokesperson in general, to go on stage <laughs> and talk about things. And I think he always has been. I've read a lot of interviews from him. I think he's a brilliant guy. I think he... Uh, is a good leader for the most part, um, has shown that he has directing chops. Uh, he came in originally to the company to do uh, event scripting, uh, to direct the the scenes specifically, uh, you know, story beats and story scenes and stuff like that. 
And I think he has some some really good prowess there. I think it's also telling that he's the one standing in front of people talking about it more than Nomura is, who is actually the director of the game. That could be because Nomura is he's just a shy guy, doesn't like to get up and you know get in front of people a lot. But I think that what it's what it's demonstrating is that Katase is more creatively involved in this than just like what some people might think of a producer role, right? He's not like an executive producer. He's that I think he's the type of producer who's actually having some creative say in what's going on. He was and actually, he was, I'm sorry, he was actually asked in an interview maybe six months ago, are you working on any parts of this game? And he brought up the uh, a couple of floors of the Shinra building in particular that yeah. he was actually hands-on directing, I guess you could say. Nice. So I was very, very excited to see that. Yeah, he, he just doesn't have that, you know, developer celebrity type deal like Naoki Yoshida or uh, or like other people like Phil Spencer or anything like that. He doesn't have that like, you know, everybody's excited to see him uh, type of vibe to him. He's just like very Japanese businessman talking up there. Yeah, that's how I see it. Well, and well, and here's here's my problem with Kitase. A lot of times he creates more confusion with his explanations than he does answer questions. And I, I've seen this kind of a lot from him. And a prime example was from that interview with IGN that, that Hat's been talking about. They, he, he, he keeps saying, like, we wanted to add all this stuff that we couldn't do in 1997 due to the technical limitations. And the interviewer from IGN pressed him on that point. Because they were talking about story content in the it, the context behind this question. And he's like, well, can you give us an example of what something you could not have done in 1997 that you can do today? Again, it was plainly obvious. He's asking about why is this going to be adding so much story content to the Midgar section? And Katase's answer was, oh, we couldn't do motion capture and facial capture and all these. It's like, dude, we all know that. No we one all could. know that you couldn't. Do, that's not the question. Don't. He, he was. I feel purposely dodging the question. Now, mm. whether that means they're just not ready to talk about the things they're adding. And he's, I guess, uh just trying to avoid saying something that he's not been cleared to say by corporate or something. Or if that means that he doesn't have a good answer to it, I can't say, but it does come across that way because it's, it's like they keep, they, they've shared that sentiment more than once. We want to flesh this out and we want to like dive deeper into these characters and we want to really like add to it. And, and these are things we couldn't do back then as, as if like there's all this stuff that was on the original drawing board that they cut yeah. in 1997 because, oh, we just can't you know, with the limitations can or whatever. I, I maybe he, maybe he's talking about disk space. Maybe he's, you know, th there, there could be other things, but he's not saying that. He's then just totally sidestepping it and talking about something unrelated. And that mm -hmm. concerns me about the fact that they're not like straightforwardly answering questions like that. Go ahead, Eric. Okay. The, my, my only question is to um, your point with him is were developers in 1997 saying to themselves, wow, I really wish this little polygon sprite had motion capture <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, it was like a different time. It's like I wish saying, we had the technology to. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like I wish I had a 
I wish I, as me in 1997 saying, man, I wish I had a smartphone that had all these apps I could play games on. It's like, I'm not thinking of that at the time. I'm not comprehending something like that with a, especially at the time video games were when they were just starting to rise and, you know, and grow. It's like, that that seems kind of like a BS statement from him. Yeah. So anyways, that type of language, the way they're talking about it, or should I say not really explaining things very well is uh, something that I think is an issue. However, there are, I think, the obvious things we've already talked about, about certain things that they are changing or adding to the story that make me go, I, I just don't know about this. Mm-hmm. Namely, uh, the Dementors. I just don't understand. I don't understand like why that's necessary, what that adds to anything, how that deepens characters. There's this very, like, subtle sort of like touching upon the fact that Eris or Aerith can communicate with the planet. She listens and hears voices, but she doesn't speak to freaking like these evil black ghost things. And and as Laura was talking about, it seems more like a geostigma-y type of plot thread than it does her communicate, maybe related to the reunion in some way. Maybe she's seeing these things haunting or following cloud that seems more likely to me than the she just i mean this would make no sense if she's just like haunted by ghosts and she's like (laughs) like freaking out oh it's just like why what does it add so that troubles me the reveal of sephiroth i think it is a really bad decision really bad decision to show him before the cutscene in calm where he retells the Nibelheim incident. Mm. And the reason why is, many of you know, Final Fantasy VII is a very special game to me. It was my very first RPG. Um, I I won't go on and on about it, but that scene in the Shinra building where you wake up and the doors are open and there's blood through the hallways, it's very creepy vibe. Sephiroth had been hinted at, I think, three or four times previous to this in text only. In the in the flashback sequence where Tifa and Cloud are making their promise at the well, and he says, I want to go be a hero like Sephiroth. And then the next time, I think, is President Shinra on the second bombing mission mentions, uh, sorry, I can't remember everyone's names who was ever in Soldier, not unless you're another Sephiroth. Then Cloud briefly has one of his flashy moments, mental breakdowns, where he mentions his name, and then they might have brought it up again in the Shinra building or something. The whole point I'm getting at is that they, the storytelling, the techniques of storytelling that I think Sakaguchi was really good at. And, and he, though he was a producer on FF7, I, I know for a fact that he was very creatively involved. He wasn't so much in 8, but he was again in 9, like writing the story and being very um, hands-on in the process. I feel like when he left the company, as Tom has mentioned, has really struggled, not with conceptual ideas for their stories, but with execution, with Mm -hmm. how do we pace this information? When do we reveal it? How should it be said? Um, Pacing in general is a big problem. And... The way that they revealed and at the times that they revealed Sephiroth was, I think, just brilliantly done because he's mysterious. You don't know if he's good. 
Cloud talks about him with admiration in this scene. He talks very little about him otherwise, but there's just this hint of something off about it. And then you see the blood in the hallways and it's like, oh, holy crap. That's just mm-hmm. such like a gut moment. Like, wow, this guy is capable of this. Then you go to Calm and, and through the gameplay, they introduce how powerful he is because it, it, you're, you're it, and that's so much more powerful than doing it in dialogue, right? Like you, you go up and slash at the dragon. It's like, bang. Nope, you suck, you level one guy. And then Sephiroth runs up there and just wham, just like in one hit, takes him out. You can go in through the menu. You can look at his stats. You can look at his level three magic. You can look at uh, his equipment. And it's just like, wow, through the mechanics of the game, we see how powerful he is. And then you have to go catch a chocobo if this is your first time. I know that any anyone who's played the game a bunch of times, like most of us, can can kill the Midgar Zalm now. But the first time you're playing that, if you tried it, you were like, oh, crap, this thing's super strong. Get the chocobo, rush through. And then you see a Zalem freaking impaled on the tree. And it's just like, whoa, this guy is so powerful. You you have so much respect for the power of Sephiroth. Mm. And that was because of the techniques, the brilliant techniques and the layers and, and, and the time spent easing you into that and shifting from Shinra being the enemy into Sephiroth being the enemy. It was brilliantly executed. And that is, I think, immediately ruined by him and Cloud's deeper relationship, their problems with each other being uh, revealed so early. Yeah, going back to what I said before is like, in in a horror movie, there's nothing scarier during the time than what is in your imagination so yeah when you show the monster at the like near the beginning of the movie you're not gonna be scared the whole way through uh unless they do some fantastic technique like a mike myers movie or something uh, or but the most of the thing is you just don't know where he is or something like that but like mm-hmm. just like the idea of how powerful and how like off-putting this person may be like you imagine that the whole time until the event happens, yeah. and with Sephiroth, it's like, it's like you're pleasantly surprised. Like you're scared what's going to happen. Oh crap! Do I have to have a boss fight with him? He's going to kill us. That's such a weird thing about Sephiroth because isn't what happened that the Genova specimen they had in the Shinra building, like Sephiroth tapped into that and it it. Isn't that the Sephiroth that we see when we're in Midgar? Yeah. So what happens is that, so basically that event already happened in the Shinra building? Well. Like, what are we What are we looking at when we see Sephiroth? Right, that, because that Sephiroth, Sephiroth isn't really there, right? Like, right. I think I that that was heavily implied that the, the Genova it, specimen it, was the, taking the, on the image. So yeah. in the remake, what are we even looking at? Hallucinations, well, cloud you know, hallucinations, yeah. I would say, yeah. Just to uh, to add to that point really quick, um, Heon brought up an interesting point on the Phoenix Edge podcast we did on Monday. Uh, if you haven't seen it, everybody go watch because great podcast. So <laughs> I can show for them. It's not my channel, so just I'm showing for them a little bit. But dude, um, dude, was a, dude was a great guest, by the way. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Heon brought up the point that um, the lines in the trailer that 
Sephiroth is saying, they don't sound like something that uh, Sephiroth would actually say himself, mm -hmm. right? So in the first one, in the State of Play trailer, he says, like, can you bear to see the planet suffer? And it's like, well, that doesn't really make sense knowing what we know about Sephiroth. Like, he wants mm -hmm. to see the planet destroyed, right? He doesn't care about the planet. And then in this trailer, he's like, uh, he says, Cloud, you have to run. Uh, you have to lead and you have to live, I think is what he said, or something along those lines. It makes me wonder if, spoiler territory, uh, if we weren't there already, but <laughs> it makes me wonder if the hallucination is actually like, he's remembering uh, Zach's words there specifically. Like, you have to live, you have to run. That sounds kind of like something he would be saying um, like Zach would have said to Cloud, right? But then Cloud in his mind thinks that he is Zach or some mixed persona of the two characters, right? Yeah, I think so it's then he's... Cloud's interpretation of oh, we're getting, we're, not the actual we're getting, Genova one. We're getting into a whole another level of freaking like <laughs> confusing yes. storytelling yeah. if that's the case, but yeah, I see so, where you're coming from. So what they're going with is Cloud is remembering what Zach told him, right? But it has to be in the context of, well, he's Zach, and who did Zach like look up to? So then it would make sense that Sephiroth is the one that would appear, right? He's remembering the words of his friend, but he's uh, seeing someone else. He's seeing Sephiroth I guess instead. My interpretation of Sephiroth's words there were purposefully manipulative, trying to lead him into the reunion. Yeah, like, baiting, you have to live. Yeah. You need to come. Like, you need to survive because mm. reunion. Yeah. That That's how I interpret it. That could be it. something that happens to any reunion creature. Like, yeah. see some vision of Sephiroth. Yeah. Okay, let me quickly go through the things real quick that I really loved, though. I What I think they are getting right, you know, because they're talking about expanding the characters. Uh, they've had, uh, there's been a couple of people giving their impressions who were actually at E3 and played the game. The the way that they're, like, none of the dialogue is the same from the original game at all. But, like, my big thing really is about retaining the spirit of the original game more than trying to copy and paste it with a facelift, so to speak, of, of a graphical facelift, right? And what I think they're, where I think they're really um, doing well there is with like Cloud and Barrett's banter back and forth. There's too much of it in the fight. Like, and yes. that's just an RPG problem, JRPG problem. They just have to talk and talk and talk and hey, here I go. It's <laughs> like constantly freaking talking. Xenoblade was the worst with this. It's just so annoying. But we've already talked about it in the past. You just have to accept it. But uh, Barrett turning to cloud when uh the, before the guard scorpion jumps down and being like you double crossing you know because he doesn't trust him mm -hmm. um and, and uh i think that there was like a sarcastic remark cloud makes to barrett about like well what do you suggest genius like th they have this kind of um sarcastic back and forth that they're doing that feels so correct to me yeah. in terms of the way they spoke to each other, the same sentiment expressed in the original game as they were going in that first bombing mission. But it is expanded on. They're doing more of it, and it feels right to me, absolutely right to me. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, the way that they are... Now, I am with you, Tom, in the sense that 
Square Enix's Square Enix has earned their reputation as bad storytellers at this point. For all I know, they could be rearing up to hit us on the nose with a sledgehammer with this. Yeah. Um, and I would not be surprised, but I at least appreciate the idea that they are touching on Avalanche's conv- conflicting feelings about their terrorist actions. Mm-hmm. They've made a point to really show that early on. Uh, Biggs and Wedge are like, whoa, did, did, is this what, you know, did we do this essentially? And Barrett being like, look, you know, nothing great ever was accomplished without sacrifice, you know, like trying to keep them focused. And then Tifa being like, I feel trapped. Like, I, I, I don't think we should be doing it this way. Um, this was one of my favorite little sort of sub themes of the game in the original, especially the way Kate Sith confronts Barrett about it in, in the later part of the game and yeah. him finally like humbling himself enough to admit that they went about it the wrong way. Like that was so powerful, and I think having a little more setup to that here in Midgar would be a really good way to emphasize and expand on that point, yeah. and it could be very powerfully done. Now, do I think Square Enix will handle that uh, with 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 grace no. and execute that well? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I lean on no. I lean on no, but I don't know. I'm I'm willing to give them a chance here, but I, I agree with Tom that they've earned their their yeah, reputation I, of being bad I, storytellers. I feel like I've given them plenty of chances already. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, Katase has stated that everything we liked in the original will be in the remake. So, I mean, we it's pretty much confirmed right there. <laughs> yeah, everything I like will be in there. Okay, <laughs> and then just my last thought on it: I love the combat. I am I am really happy with the direction they're taking the combat. For years and years, probably two decades, they've been trying to make a hybrid system between a, comba- a command base and an action system that I've had problems with for one reason or another. It's like you're trying to please people on this end of the spectrum and people on this end of the spectrum, and you always fall somewhere in between and don't really completely please everybody. And I made a video about you know, how such a combat system could maybe work. We mentioned bullet time in that video. Heon probably brought it up in your podcast because I had talked to him about that back then. I love it. I love the concept of the bullet time stopping when you go into your command menu and select spells and abilities and things like that, and that you can switch characters at any time. I've talked about how I hate the way they do it in 15 and type zero, where your character's here, you switch and the guy just zooms over to you. Now you're this guy in the same <laughs> position where you were before. No, we're going to actually move over to the position of the other character and take it up from there. Um, the fact that you can hotkey stuff if you don't like stopping the action. So people who want to just keep the action rolling active time, they have that option to hotkey certain abilities. I think the combat looks amazing. It looks like a lot of fun. And every single impression I've read on the internet says this is a, a ton of fun to play so i think if nothing else it will be a fun game to play it's exactly the right combat system for my sensibilities and i'm excited for it okay anything else anyone wants to say on ff7 before i want to say one thing that i've kind of realized during this conversation is that given they are expanding the length of midgar i think that probably some of my personal maybe bias is that i i keep referring it to the exact original of the game and because they keep saying they're hitting the same story beats but it's entirely possible if they are expanding midgar that some of the things that we liked about the you know the reveal with calm and the reveal with sephiroth 
they might do a similar type of thing in Midgar, given it's so much longer. And I mean, Cloud could tell the same story in Midgar that he did in Calm. So, and I'm not saying that that's the best idea, but I can, you know, if I get a little creative here, I can see some different routes they could take that might be better than what I'm currently imagining, which is just, you know, manifestations of Sephiroth, the entire game that don't really go anywhere till the second game. <laughs> so I, I, I do want to put that small little wrinkle in there and say, yeah. you know, it's possible how they execute it might well, turn out well. On top of that, you think about like just from a pacing perspective, is the final boss of this first game really going to be that freaking robot you fight on the highway <laughs> on the way out? That's the final <laughs> boss of the game. No, it's going to be and Rufus. also you know why Rufus. Actually, that would be way better. That would be way better. I got that a would be way better. I think it the ghosts and stuff might be a whole new type of villain. I don't know, maybe like a um like a natural force type villain or something like, like a that. genesis of a new villain. Yeah, maybe something <laughs> like that. Maybe, <laughs> but there may be some other type of final boss that overcomes like a part of Eris' story, like with the ghost or cloud in that regard. And maybe that's something that's actually the final boss after you have like the whole Shinra building incident. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying exactly like that, but like, just um, just some other third entity that is going on in the game. You know, here's here's my other concern too. Um, will you, in the next game, be able to transfer your characters over at the same level? Or are they going to pull a, um, a mass effect where certain elements, certain choices or whatever carry over, but you're reset to level one? I will hate that if that's the I case. Think, I here's think that's going to cap you. Right. Well, because, yeah, I mean, look, it depends on how long. Well, it doesn't really matter, actually. But if let's say it's two years in between the next game coming out, if you give me two years to sit with this game and they, they just carry everything over, my characters are going to be maxed out. Right. Mm -hmm. So they, they have to find some way to uh, account for that, because whether, whether levels level 99 or level 50 or, you know, whatever the case is. You know, my characters are going to be completely maxed out and my, you know, my, I'm going to have all my spells and all my materia just like max as far, far as they'll let me. I'll have all so the So you're thinking maybe like, uh, level 15 cap for the end of Midgar or something like that. Maybe 20. Well, maybe like I mean, 20 to 30 somewhere in there would be my guess. I think yeah. there'll be completely new games each time. With the uh, level, the level one system? reset. I think, I, I think they had an original concept with CyberConnect 2 who were famous for doing uh, multi-game series like .hack, where you did transfer your character's data over. And um, and then the level cap and stuff just got higher um, when you went through the game. But I think that kind of concept maybe have dropped. And if they're really advertising as like each game being their own big thing, then they may like change something, especially if there are some faults of the first game and they want to address it in the second game. Like you might be bogged down by like stuff that you transfer over from the first game over. They may be trapped and they have to keep this concept intact because you have to, because you have all your stuff that you're bringing over unless they decide to just get rid of the thing after you go over. Now, what I think they might do is they may add maybe some bonus stuff for you, uh, completing the first game and they may give you some bonus stuff in the second game for like saying like thank you for playing the first game type of deal but mm -hmm. 
it could easily go the other way. It could be a transfer type thing, but just the way they've been kind of sounding sounds like they want to just make like a whole new type of experience every time. Okay. Uh, real quick. I want to move to lore runner here um, and move on from final fantasy seven. What, what he, I do? He, no, he has a, a, another stream. He's going to be moving to here in the next little while. So um, you are going to do a, an, like you said, a full in-depth analysis of all the stuff at E3 on, on your Twitch channel, right? That's coming on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Yep, Sunday at 10 a.m. Yes. So uh, everybody, uh, make sure that you tune in for that so that you can go fully in-depth and explain everything. But before um, before we move on to the other stuff about E3 we want to talk about, is there anything you want to say to sort of like maybe prelude your thoughts on, on, on what you like to talk about? Anything that you were really excited about? Anything that stood out to you at E3? that we could talk about first moving on from FF seven. Mm. I, I wasn't kidding earlier. I really do have six pages of notes. <laughs> FF eight remaster. Yeah. What'd you think about that? You want me to start? Of course you want me to start. Yeah. All right. It's awful. It's the worst game ever. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm actually one of the very few people I know who actually legitimately enjoys FF eight. Now I enjoy it while cheating. Because I don't enjoy playing it normally, but well, let me, let me interject real quick. Because I remember watching your rumination on it, and I I almost had exactly the same experience in terms of I hated it the first time, liked it better the second time, liked it better the third time. It's like each time I play it, it's like I appreciate mm-hmm. it more and more. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of levels to it. They actually put some real depth and complexity into the story, which isn't obvious, especially since so much of it so much of it is optional. Yeah. It's not main quest or whatever you want to call it. But anyways, I the, just the one thing I wanted to jump off here, and I'm curious of your guys' thoughts on this. Obviously, you know, we get a remaster, woo. They went back and pulled a Kingdom Hearts 1 final mix on this. They had to redevelop the code. And this is something they've said they want to do going forward since there's so much of the original code they've lost for so much Ooh. of their older games. Right. Is this something... I, I mean, I guess this sounds like a dumb question, but I'm excited about the very concept of that. The fact that they're making the effort to effectively recreate their older games in order to release them in a modern format. Mm-hmm. And I was curious of your guys' thoughts on that. Well, I did read a um, something recently that said that their goal, I think it was a um, an interview with Matsuda, the president of Square, mm-hmm. where they're talking about they want every game in their catalog to be available digitally. Like that's yep. the, yeah. a big project they're working on right now. Now, whether that means they're going to create their own cloud streaming service like everyone else is doing right now, or if they're going to create their own version of Steam where you can just pay individually for the games and download them. They haven't really decided on that necessarily, the format of that yet. But I know that that's something that's important to them right now. And does that mean that they're going to bring, I mean, like literally every game, like even the games <laughs> that never came out in the West, like back on the NES and stuff? I mean, that'd be sweet. I mean, we I'm, got Second uh, Desetsu 3, so as I was about I, to I say, yeah. Possible now. I'll tell so, you, I'll tell you yeah. what they're not going to do. They're not going to be remaking all of these games' code from the ground up like they're doing for FF8 or FF9, because that would just be insane. I mean, you, that's not a process you can really automate. Like, they'd have to go to emulation at some point, which is fine and all. I mean, no problem with that. Some people would buy into it, so. I, I still, to this day, I don't understand how, with how popular emulation has been, that the, that these companies haven't taken advantage of that. Yeah, seriously. And just, like, offered an emulator with the ROMs for some three ninety nine a month on mm-hmm. their website or whatever. You know, you play it, like, in the web browser even. Same I don't features, know. Same features, I don't get everything. it. There's I don't no get reason. it. There's so much money to be made. It's so easy. <laughs> what are you doing? Anyways. Uh, Think of the money. 
really yeah. is easy money. Look at the catalog they have. They have uh, the PSP versions of Final Fantasy 1 and 2. They can release digitally. They have the FF4 collection on the PSP. They have Final Fantasy Tactics that they haven't released out yet. They have um, some other obscure titles like Vagrant Story, Brave Fence or Musashi, uh, stuff like that. Now, I don't know if those are worth getting their code back up. Well, Vagrant Story, yes. But I don't know if something yeah. like a Brave Fencer is worth going through. But Sometimes. if they're that dedicated to it, then I, I kind of think like some of them are going to be emulation. Some of them are going to be actual effort. I think that spreading it out is probably just a corporate strategy. So you have filler content in between other bigger announcements that get people excited. Mm. Uh, obviously, if they just dumped everything at one time, that would be awesome to us. But, you know, people would get pissed off two years from now when, you know, they don't have anything to announce. So, And from an investment perspective, the investors would hate that. Yeah. Like they, they would be like, okay, so this quarter you released all these games which sold great. Okay, so the next quarter comes around. All right, so what are you releasing this quarter? So as an investor, I would I would sell everything <laughs> after those came out. The, the peak of the I would too. I would yeah. expect. Oh, okay, we're good. We're done. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll do point. like a eShop or virtual console type thing where they'll release like maybe one or two a month or every other month. Yeah, and. Um, Slowly just slowly them. bring them out onto Steam and Switch and PS4. Uh, I I think they would make more money off of selling them individually than having a streaming service. Just because Square Soft titles just have such a reputation of being like the golden era RPGs. Stuff like that is a really big sell. Well, and while, while it's true that everyone is moving to a subscription streaming service, that's what they want to do. The, I also see a widespread sentiment of oh another ten ninety nine another twelve ninety nine a month thing. People yeah. can only have so many of those, man. Like don't forget Microsoft and Ubisoft both just announced two new sub fees that they're going to be adding yeah. just, just like, this week. P that's that's such a hard thing. I feel to a hard market to try to compete in because people can only have. I would say the average person can have two or three of those at most per month that they can handle, yeah. they can afford. So and then they're know, already it, taken up with video streaming. Whereas yeah. if there was a, a way for me to buy Chrono Trigger for five bucks one month, you know, that's way more doable than, oh, I can have the entire Square library for $15 a month ongoing for the rest of my freaking life or however long I'm going to pay for it. I just don't I just don't see that as a viable option for and and I know all the businesses are trying to do it so maybe they see something I don't. I'm not a business person necessarily, but I just feel like that's going to be harder to compete in when you're going against Microsoft and you're going against Ubisoft and you're going against Bethesda and you're like all these companies as Square, I don't know. I just don't know if it'll work. But I I could speaking as someone who has studied economics for most of my life, I'll go ahead and tell you that no it won't work. Um, they, want, they, want, they want recurrent income. They want income that keeps coming in and yeah. they want it on a regular basis because it looks good on paper. But every single time a company tries to dive too hard into that, what they do is they bleed out how many people are putting in bit by bit by bit until they have like their their core hard, their, their hardcore base who are just saying, OK, we'll go ahead and keep doing this sub and no one else. And mm. they plummet and they die like that. This is mm. this is a universal pattern going back over a century at this point, because this subscription fee concept is not new at all. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Real quick, I, mean, I just want to throw a ahead. shout out to Sonic Doctor and Reximus. Thank you for your subscriptions on Twitch Prime. Appreciate you guys. Okay, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I, for some reason, chose accounting as my career. And so that makes me a certified bean counter. All right, However, nice. I'm so I, sorry. I know, but at, at every, Laura was exactly right. What they want is certainty. So they, people like to see that there's a constant flow of cash. They don't like a lot of volatility with things going up and down drastically. It gets people nervous. They just want consistent income. And the thing is, I think people are going to realize $15 a month, that's $180 a year. What, was I really getting three games from Ubisoft a year? I mean, is this really worth it? Am I going to get four games? Probably not unless you're a hardcore fan. So I think people are going to wise up pretty quickly if they haven't already. Yeah. So let's talk about that real quick. That is something that I wanted to put on my list of like all these companies trying to move towards cloud service. Uh, why? <laughs> what do you think is the impetus for this? And obviously we have at least half of us that think it won't work at all. It's not sustainable, but uh, is that pretty universal here on the panel? We all thought that that was dumb. Yeah. Well, go uh, ahead, Tom oh, first. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, yeah. <laughs> okay. Then oh. dude, you go. <laughs> okay. um, I think they just see the writing on the wall that this is coming. Right. Yeah. Um, even if Google Stadia doesn't work for half the country now because their uh, internet is not good enough it's coming right mm -hmm. like some and it's also way uh, like you said recurrent revenue right always coming in and the way they get people to stay subscribed is um they do things like i know like ea already does like well if you get it on our ea access you get the game a month early or something right like i think they did that with anthem and so it's like exclusivity right or like this game's coming sooner if you get it here or you get like the director's cut of the game with like all the dlc like you'll get that all for free and they are probably timing their releases so that by the time you're done with that big game that came out in january there's another one in april right so why unsubscribe don't unsubscribe now like the new big game is almost out and kind of like how you're saying, like they are, uh, like Square Enix would split up their releases, right? They would say if they had a streaming service and if that's their plan, they would release FF8 Remaster in February or something, right? And then they would say, you know, don't unsubscribe because Crystal Chronicles or whatever is coming in April, you know, mm -hmm. and you just have these timed releases. It's the same strategy that uh, Netflix uses right with their uh netflix originals right sure if you if you it's like they're they're timed so that they come out and there's a reason to stay subscribed yeah to something to look forward to constantly a, a yeah. stream of new content because yeah, they know they know if they dump everything on there all at once people are gonna play what they like and then they're gonna be done with it and then they're gonna unsubscribe after two yeah. three months so there, real quick, there were some people bringing up um, that this it might be a measure to try and curb piracy. Uh, yeah, do you guys have any mm -hmm. thoughts on whether or not that could be effective it's, in any way? It's the ultimate anti-piracy. And I think mm -hmm. there's no way they're going to be able to resist it. But uh, on an even greater level, you think about the terms of exclusives on these systems. The, the, the thing about it is you can't, I mean, in a perfect world, you, you can't really hack you can't really do anything special with the game. It's all being run on another computer in a server somewhere far away. You can't 
pirate that because there's no access to the source whatsoever. So what's going to happen is we're it, and I guarantee it's going to happen. They won't be able to resist. Maybe 20 years down the road, we'll finally get there. But we're going to start seeing actual stream-only exclusives. And when that happens, I mean, video game preservation goes out the window. I mean, that's just, if these games aren't released in any other form, we'll never see them again. That's the biggest thing that I get worried about. I mean, the fact, if they want to offer a side deal, I don't really care if that and if that appeals to you and you want to take advantage of that that's great and i can keep playing the game that i will how i want to play it mm -hmm. and as long as we have these options but once we don't have these options anymore i think that we're in a very ugly place that i don't like yeah so totally i agree. mean i'm a i'm a i'm a game collector i love to get physical <laughs> i mean anytime i can so that that type of idea is scary to me, but I have a feeling that's like inevitable future. That um, just to fight stuff like piracy and used games, even though used games has just been pretty much defeated for the most part. GameStop's almost ready to go under. Um, it's uh, it's kind of sad to see at the same time, but it. I mean, I've already accepted it's an inevitable future. Yep. Nothing, nothing to be said about it. It's what they want. They're going to make it happen. Now, personally, I don't even begin to understand the idea of wanting a physical copy of any given. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. There's no reason. No, I'm sorry. I'm aside. How, how did you like? How did you like Starlink? I was I thinking about getting it. The other yeah, day. so few really? people have been funding this that it's really low on my priority list. Which so is, it's. I haven't even opened it. This is actually an unopened box right here. Okay, I'm exactly the same. I bought that thing just to have the just to have the art. <sighs> My... I mean, it's really cool looking. Like you see, right? It looks awesome. I just <laughs> sorry. It's a game I really wanted to try, but I just there's just so much on the plate. I just haven't. I, but I wanted to see if you had played it. But anyways, I, I do have a thought I want to toss out here because I noticed nobody sure. mentioned this. One of the great myths of of com consu uh, consumer politics when it comes to corporate market is they seem to think that ad revenue or the concept of ads is like the there's a term for this it's like the er concept it's the baseline it's what all other aspects of corporate existence is is developed on it's like how many uh, eyeballs are you seeing how many people are viewing this at this time determines the relative value of it which then they take to publishers or they take to, to the actual producers the physical producers the copies that base Artifact, there's a term for that, I can't freaking think of it. That base item is what so many corporations use to determine the costs of many, many other aspects of their existence, right? Which brings me to the subscription thing, because subscriptions don't actually have ad revenue in the strictest sense. Like, you go to Netflix, you don't see ads for, uh, I don't know, I can't think of anything, uh, Pokemon or whatever there, right? You don't see uh, shell ads, but what you do see are the things that they are pushing like they've got the recommended for you and they've got the this is something that might concern over the interest and these are the big ones these are the ones so in other words they technically don't have the same type of ads but it is still the same mentality we can decide how to push what and then so let's say stadia or stadia how the hell you're supposed to say it it's dumb whatever it is um Sorry, giving my opinion bluntly there. <laughs> Stadia Zezudu decides to say, hey, you know, um, Activision. Well, that's a bad example because Activision has their own thing going on. G give me a game company. Ubisoft. Ubisoft. That's a, actually another bad example because they got you play. <laughs> Nintendo. Nintendo, who would never do this. But let's just say <laughs> they can go to Nintendo and they can say, hey, 
you want to put your games on Stadia. We can guarantee with with the right deal, with you giving us the right chunk of money, we can guarantee that it'll get this slot on the Stadia launcher, right? It'll get this many people looking at it, this many people interested, and this many people playing it. And that, of course, then determines how they will pay Nintendo back, or at least that's the way those deals usually work. So this, I think, is one of the biggest reasons why they keep pushing the subscription thing. This is just my opinion. I don't actually know. I don't have hard figures. But I think they're trying to effectively control the method of eyeballs, the method of who is seeing what, and in, in so doing, trying to charge other companies more in order to get more value out of the same product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, Lore. Anything else from E3? That Trials of Mana. Oh, sorry. Trials of Mana. Uh-huh. Let's talk about Trials of Mana. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel about the the remake? I think we already have just sort of <laughs> talked about our I, our feelings on the collection, but how do you feel about the remake? Well, well, like I said, I actually did watch the Treehouse where they showcased it live and actually had the one playing uh, yes. it. It looks it actually looks really good. I could nitpick yeah. it. The terrain looks like they effectively adapted it rather than redesigned it, so some of it looks off because it's supposed to be looked like this, and instead it's being looked like, like this. But other than that, the combat looks fantastic. The the circle menus look, look exactly how they should. The characters are fully voice acted like they should be, in my opinion. The animations are great. The boss fight they showed off the... Oh, I can't even think of the boss's name. It's the big the two eyes. Guy. You yeah, take yeah, out yeah. the eyes one at a time. Yeah. yeah, they've showed off him. Great boss fight. It looked very entertaining. A few camera issues. I think they need to resolve some of the camera issues. That was a problem with the Psalm remake, too, if I might be bold. Yeah. But otherwise, it looks really, really good, and I may have already pre-ordered it. <laughs> well, here, here's my question about it, because anytime that you're going to remake a game, I, I would think... The, the real reason to do it would be to improve upon something from the original that was maybe maybe even inadvertently a problem or, or gameplay dragged because of this. And in both Secret of Mana and Sega Nintendo 3, Trials of Mana, I'm going to have a really hard time saying Trials of Mana. It's going to be really hard for me to change saying Sega Nintendo 3. Kind of a weird but, man. Uh, in, in Secret of Mana... And Sega Nintendo 3, the wheels really slowed down the combat with, like, selecting magic and the long animation spells and going through layers of that to get to items versus the magic versus... And so, like, if you were playing, let's say, a build in Sega Nintendo 3 where you had a lot of mages in the party, um, Mm -hmm. battles could just be super long that's why i always went with durin and kevin because like they were primarily physical attackers with a healer you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and it's just the battle system was faster that way so Mm -hmm. does it look like they're addressing that in any way with the gameplay that you saw in the in trials of mana remake no yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to drop that well, nice and simply. However, <laughs> they did mention in brief, they didn't show off. That's the problem. So I can't defer to this. But they mentioned in brief the idea of shortcutting. Basically the Kingdom Hearts thing. You know, mm. you, uh, L1 triangle does... Oh, that's good. ...spells or whatever. And I'm hoping that that, that wasn't just an offhanded reference by one of the presenters. Because, you know, they don't script those. It's just them sitting there playing the game. Um, I'm hopeful, but that's 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 all I got. So like hotkeys kind of a thing. Versus yeah. actually pausing the game and like navigating through the circle menus. Yeah. I will mm. say that this isn't a criticism of the first three mana games. It's just an observation. Um, there is a level of stiffness 
to when you attack enemies. And I know the uh, I know the uh, the understatement of it is that you need to be strategic with your strikes. Yeah, is why it, it, there's a level of stiffness to it. But um, something like that in that era where we're a little more action friendly and want to be a little more free flow with the action. What they may look at it and say is, "Hey, if we do a remake, shouldn't we uh, like improve upon like the action formula that cater to like a modern audience now? Kind of make the gameplay more smooth, easier to dodge. Don't have to think as strategically. You can just think of like uh, more on the spot, right there type of deal. Um, I think that might be another thing on top of that. I'm with you all on this, and that." I'm, honestly, I've been biting my tongue a little bit because I was not the biggest fan of those games to begin with. Uh, they're great games. I think they're time classics. I think it's great that a lot of people had, uh, you know, fun with their friends. And it's great that we're getting a version of a game that's only been released in Japan and, uh, you know, and, and everything like that and the remake and, and just experience it in a new way. But if you have to improve upon the original and when it comes down to things like the user interface and the combat, when I play them now, it's just it it just feels rough to me, and it's a it's a turnoff to me. And I know that's nah. my weakness. That's my nah. weakness. Sega does have the three is one of the best games of all time. Honestly, <laughs> I agree. With, I agree with you when it comes to Secret of Mana. I'm I'm not really with other people all the way when it comes to the praise that game gets. I think it deserves praise, but I'm not like I'm not like head over heels over it. Like I am for Second Incessor Three. I think Second I think that one is, is def- actually really good. That's a huge improvement, but I still, I it's it's my weakness, I know, but I, I still run into the same feelings at some point. So for for those of you who played Secret of Mana, the actual cart on the Super Nintendo back in the day, I didn't have a Super Nintendo growing up, so I didn't play it back then. I can't remember because I had a buddy who had one, and I would go play with him sometimes. But my parents didn't let me play video games after the NES. We played so much that they were like, "You're done. You're going outside." <laughs> and so we didn't we didn't get a console again until the N64. So. But in my in my playthroughs of Secret of Mana, I've always felt that there's this heavy delay upon when you actually strike an enemy and when it registers, it hits. It's an and, issue with the hurt boxes. I can tell you that right now. I've dissected that game. The, the hurt boxes are basically wrong, to put it as bad. simple as I can. No, yeah, it, it is actually bad. You You have to know where your sword actually is in order to determine when and how it's actually going to hit the enemy. Oh, and by the way, the enemy hitboxes are also wrong. Oh, geez, it was so annoying because I, I was recording uh, a playthrough of it so that I could potentially do video on it here in the future, in the near future. And uh, that was just the thing. That and then the text boxes are just like, they blind me. They're so freaking hard to look at. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to fix it with transparency or changing mm-hmm. the pattern. It's just, it always looks bad. And it, it takes a lot of adjusting to like read it without like your eyes just like falling out of your head but adventure of mana actually had the same issue if you played the game boy one mm-hmm. like the yeah. hitbox oh, yeah. the hitbox mm-hmm. is very whack yeah. like i just played through a little bit of it right now just to see how it was on the uh switch and well if, if it's it's probably like the definitive version of it it's still the hit detection on that and secret mana are probably one of the more frustrating things and what mm-hmm. i can already give credit to the third game over the second one is not only does the hit detection feel better, and the game actually rewards you for successful strikes instead of hitting once, waiting to go 100%. Yes, yes, I hate, I, I really dislike that as Secret of Mana. As you have to wait for it to get back to full power. And this is why I've always liked Sega Nintendo 3's combat so much more. 
is the hit detection for one is just massively, massively better. It makes, I mean, it's intuitive. It makes sense. You're not like, oh, did I hit the guy or did girl hit the guy or did like who hit who hit when <laughs> i can't tell and, and that's important because you're trying to level up the weapons right so you need mm -hmm. to get like more kills with the weapon or whatever mm -hmm. um so that bothers me a lot in secret of mana but in second does it's really like you're saying each hit like builds up to where you can press i think it's the b button so you can do like your special hit that does the extra damage mm -hmm. like the little flip swing with durin or whatever so anyways i, I just um, want to jump in really quick oh sorry go, go for it lore I just wanted to jump in really quick that I actually pulled up the gameplay footage from the Treehouse Live, and you can hold down R and hit B, A, Y, or X to set something Ooh. as a shortcut. So I was oh, right. Nice. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I like that. That's a good change. What were you saying, Eric? Oh, I was just going to say uh, Adventure of Mana even did better than Secret of Mana in that the uh, you can wait to not hit someone, but if you do wait, then uh, let the willpower go to 100%. Then you do like a really big attack, so you're... Mm -hmm. right very much rewarded for waiting and you can increase a stat to make it go faster in the bar but mm -hmm. like I, I don't know why secret of mana just took a step backwards from that yeah so resident lever brought up hashtag team evermore i'm with you i think secret of evermore is pretty underrated <laughs> agree secret, secret of evermore is a good game i like it too um i mean it was okay. Seals first game so uh laurie are you still good or do you need to uh, head out i kind of need to go <laughs> okay okay uh then by all means any last words before you have takeoff um yes anything else do. thank you for having me you know I, I appreciate it despite the extremely last second uh notification thereof yeah, like i said just, i'm gonna be i apologize it's all good. I'm going to be go I have a huge set of lists, uh, a huge set of notes and a list there to go through. Like I said, I know I've already plugged it twice. I just want to, to toss one more plug because there is so much news. We got so much news this E3. It's mm. actually strange. Usually E3s are just here's nothing and here's nothing. And this E3 we have everything from cyberpunk news to doom to <laughs> Commander Keen getting a horrible mobile port. It's kind of been stressing me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's been pretty stressful trying to keep up with it, especially since I go back to regular streaming tomorrow. So that that's all I wanted to pass out. And thank you okay. for having me again. You're welcome. And everyone, uh, tune in to Lore Week on Sunday on Twitch. Follow Lore Runner's uh, YouTube or um, Twitch channel for that, and he'll go into detail on all the rest of the stuff. Thank you for joining us. Wish we could have gotten more, but uh, it's all good. Have a good one. Absolutely. See you around, guys. Take care. Yeah. Easy. All right. All right, everyone else. Let's go down the list here. Uh, Elden Ring is a game that I'm really, really interested in because it's FromSoft, which I love, but also uh, collaboration in terms of storytelling with George R.R. R. Martin. Mm -hmm. However, we didn't really learn anything from it <laughs> other than it exists. It was uh, George is going to set the foundation in the world and mm. then from software is going to like take it from there mm. and like and they follow his rules and guidelines on how the world works mm. yeah i i don't know like uh i i guess i expected at least to get some idea <laughs> of like what it will play like because you know with from soft games it's a lot of vagueness subtlety storytelling through item descriptions mm -hmm. which which if you're going to get george R. R. martin to come help you with a story i would figure they'd have more 
traditional narrative, more yeah. like scenes with dialogue. I guess they did have more of that with, uh, I haven't played it yet, but Sekiro, the, the newest FromSoft game. It's perfectly possible that they'll branch out and try something new. I hope they do. I, I hope they do too. I keep and I was Witcher three when I keep thinking what they how they describe Elden Ring. Yeah, yeah, like from from soft combat, but like a Witcher three style mm. world and NPCs and questing and that sort of thing. That's that's what I was hoping for, but we know nothing about it. So I was disappointed because it leaked early that this was happening, but then we just got a really really vague teaser pre-rendered cgi stuff and it's just like okay whatever i guess that was my biggest thing is that i i we didn't really see the gameplay that i wanted to see i i i watch it and i'm like oh this might be an interesting story this might be an interesting if you made this a like some kind of film ad- adaptation or something but I, I just didn't see the the game part that appealed to me so maybe in the future uh what did you guys think about or did do did you have anything to say about it before we go on uh no, I didn't really look into it that much. Um, I've only okay. played the original Dark Souls, and that's the only From Software game I've played. I enjoyed it. Okay. Um, I didn't really pursue well, any it, other games after that. But in my opinion, it is the best one aside from <laughs> Demon Souls, so yeah. it's a good one to pick. But yeah, yeah. like you're saying, um, any E3 announcement that's just like we're making a game. Here's the title. Maybe like one or two minutes of CG. I kind of have the attitude of like, oh, okay. So your game doesn't exist yet, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like right. that's that's my general feeling, like just of watching all these E3s in the past. This yeah. might not be in the game. That's all I keep thinking. Yeah, like this this game is a concept, and here's a conceptual mm-hmm. trailer. We have nothing of significance to show. It's like to me, that's just like, oh, so that may be something that actually comes out in the future. You know, I anything like beyond should... that, I don't look into it really very much. I feel like they should know by now how annoying that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like just... Bethesda last year was like, uh, not, yeah, I think it was last year. They unveiled like, oh, Starfield, new game. We're working on it. It was just yeah. a shot of space and then the logo. I'm like, yeah. okay, so your your game doesn't exist. Like, no. so like even with <laughs> even with Breath of the Wild too. I mean, they showed a little more of that, so it was slightly more satisfying. But even then, it's just like, hey guys, we're making this. Like, okay. Cool. Like, yeah, not not excited. Yeah, that's what makes kind me of like a little bit of a hypocrite because I'm excited when I see that. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I want to be critical at the same time and say, you should have showed some gameplay or not let us know. I mean, it, it goes back to Metroid Prime 4 also. Like, I'm so excited for that game exists, I, that I know the game exists. <laughs> but, but there's another part of me that's like, you shouldn't have announced anything if you had nothing to show. Thanks for letting us know it exists, but uh, well, especially with Nintendo, because they had so many announcements that that it necessarily wasn't needed. You know, I felt mm-hmm. like I mean it was a very cool reveal at the end, but uh, if you know, it's it, like it a cherry hurt. on top. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't put that there, I don't think anybody would have. I mean, there would have been a few people that were disappointed, but I think that that was just a great reveal of content that it wasn't necessarily needed. I guess yeah. if they didn't say it, the leakers would. Yeah, uh, we got a comment here from Yeah Four Three Three Five. By the way, also subscribed, so thank you for that. Said uh, IGN did an interview with Miyazaki. According to him, the gameplay would be more akin to Dark Souls, less Sekiro, which makes sense if it's going to be. I mean, I'm assuming more of like a 
kind of like Dark Souls was more European, Western yeah. European sort of uh, vibe to it than a, a Japanese vibe, right? High fantasy. Yeah. Um, okay. What did you guys think of Cyberpunk 2077? Personally, I didn't really, I wasn't really looking forward to that game. And then I saw that trailer and I am pumped for it. I don't know if you all had a similar uh, perception of it, especially when, you know, Keanu Reeves like dips down his glasses and comes storming (laughs) out. I was just like, dude, that was awesome. This like Microsoft should just be like, thank you. You know, so like that, that was, that was sick. I really liked it. What'd you guys do? Reeves single-handedly sold an extra million copies of that game. With a Um, teleprompter. I agree. agree. (laughs) With a teleprompter. Yeah. He he, he killed it. On top of that, he's already being memed for the whole, uh, your, your breathtaking thing yeah. right i mean like you're absolutely right the game's gonna sell way more just because of the fact that keanu reeves is in it there's no question and it was so wholesome and it's just <laughs> i can't believe that guy's like a stranding and then you got one person appearing on cyberpunk and everyone goes crazy oh yeah oh yeah they picked the right celebrity for sure well if that for, was going for to that audience if that was going to be a movie instead he would have been a perfect fit. I feel, I feel like, so like he just mm-hmm. like sunk right into it really well. So, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge Witcher three fan. I, I could go back and forth all day about whether the Witcher three or Chrono Trigger are my favorite game of all time. Uh, one's the 20 hours that I love the short game. The other one's the <laughs> probably a hundred hours if you really want to play it the right way. And then, yeah. and so it's like, I lean this way on that, but I just love the depth of the world. I love the, the nuance of the characters that you don't get in Chrono Trigger because it's a simpler game. Um, so anyways, I love it. So CD project red, one of the companies I really like in terms of their philosophy for game design but I don't know what it is. I just have never really been hooked by cyberpunk. And I have a feeling that it's going to be the type of game where I don't have any hype for it leading up to it. But when I actually sit down and really dig into it, it's going to be amazing. So I'm planning on playing it. I don't know if I'll play it at launch. I'll probably wait a little bit, see what people are saying, but I I probably will eventually play it. I'm sure that I'm sure that I'll love it. I mean, I, they, from, so from an objective standpoint, you can tell it's going to be excellent. Like mm-hmm. the de- the attention to detail, just the richness of it. But it's just, I, I can't really put my finger on what it is that is not grabbing me or hooking me. I don't know. I don't know. What gets me is I think it's slated to come out like a month after the Final Fantasy VII remake. So I'm kind of like, I want to get it on day one, but mm. I think I'm going to be kind of still in that realm at that point in time you got two blu-ray discs worth of content though <laughs> it's going to take me a long time to get through those two blu-ray discs yeah so, i'm kind of i'm kind of with you it. though i'm kind of with you though mike i'm not like i don't know i'm not like super hyped by the idea of cyberpunk you know as a theme like like i like it but it's uh it's not something that hypes me up necessarily but i mean cg cd project red they they've got the writing chops that's so clear yeah. from The Witcher, you know, even even if they're using, you know, source material in a way, I mean, they wrote that whole game themselves. So it's so it's so clear to me that they've got everything they need to make a really excellent game. So I'm, I'm sure it'll be really good. But, but I did love the Keanu uh, stage appearance. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought it was just 
in very endearingly awkward as he read that uh, teleprompter. And <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. he just read. It was so yeah. awkward. Yeah, he's he's. Can anybody love him. is anybody else surprised as much as I am that that guy is fifty four years old? I know oh, I can't believe it. He, he can't believe it. Has not aged, <laughs> and he smokes cigarettes like a pack well, a day. I, I'm pretty I, sure he's actually you know like three hundred years old. Oh, according to the rumors, yeah. He still looks young like he did when he sang about Cincinnati and Toyland. I mean, he, <laughs> I mean, that man does not age. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'm getting to the point that I look, I'm going to look older than him, and I'm only 30. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got to talk about Death Stranding. Does anybody know what the F this game is and can explain <laughs> it to me? It's a whole no. genre. The <laughs> stealth action walking simulator. Traversal, I don't, I don't, I don't traversal game. <laughs> he said it was like a stranded genre or something like that, or like a survival. It looks like a waste of time. <laughs> I don't know. Like you're going across the United States uh, to reunite certain things together with a like like a, towns or like um uh, maybe uh what do you call them ref refuges or whatever like the the few places in the world where people are. You're trying to like connect them. I'm guessing, right? Yeah. So like. Like connect them so that they can communicate with each other, or connect. What do they mean by connection? I I don't really get that. They made it come off like as a the the you got to save the United States like from destruction, and the only way you can do it is by joining everyone back together. So you guys like going like from settlement to settlement. I don't even know if you're like taking a ride there and you're just at a stage, or you're actually traveling like with a backpack across the country. Uh, and a ladder. Well, how does he like summon ladders from nothing? That is, 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 did they even like hint <laughs> at the, an explanation for how he's just like conjuring up this giant ladder out of nothing? He uh, he hides it in the same place where Link hides all his items <laughs> yeah, yeah. under I guess behind so. the shield is just like a void, right? And just, I, like, anything just, he wants just comes I out. Just, yeah, I just feel this is weird for weird's sake, and I <laughs> don't <laughs> like that. But it could be amazing, and if it comes out and gets you know ten out of tens, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, this is like one of the few games where like the director name is the selling point of the product, not mm. more than the well, product itself. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, I I have to hand it to him. The Kojima game. Yeah, I have to hand it to him for trying something new if that's what he's doing. Although there's a lot of kind of gratuitously weird stuff. It seems like. It, you expect it yeah. from Kojima, right? I mean, like, I, I can say I really thoroughly enjoyed Metal Gear Solid 3, and it has, like, a boss that, like, throws bees <laughs> at you. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's freaking whack. It's out there. But, like, at the center of the game is just this really heartfelt relationship between him and the boss you know and, and and like how the united states demonizes the boss who made like the ultimate sacrifice for a country and made him a hero when he doesn't feel like you know he just the whole thing's all wrong like that's really what the game at its heart was and it, it like really nailed that portion of it so it's like you know the the wackiness of kojima on top of it is just like a flair it's like a stylized mm. thing right in in this game I just have no idea what it is about. Mm -hmm. I don't have a clue what it is about. Like, what is it? What is it? 
it just feels like when I watch material that they've released on it, that it seems like a sequence of events that I don't really can't really connect any weird way. And it almost feels as if it's just random things slopped together. I suspect, obviously, when you play the game, it's going to make a little more sense. But I, I'm with you. I want I want to know what this game is about if I'm going to get hyped for it or at least, you know, commit to purchasing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen so many things. I've seen that be a hiking simulator. I've seen it be sneaking around i've seen it be a shooter slapping people in the face with a briefcase like (laughs) and they could be going for kind of a a near-esque thing you know where near kind of dips into all sorts of little different things and kind of experimental way too much credit here (laughs) well we got liquid sword here saying i trust kojima will tell a good story with crazy awesome supernatural stuff in it too the thing is that for me is at least from the Metal Gear uh, games, like I Metal Gear ones or Metal Gear Solid ones story, I thought was really solid. Two had some really really great philosophy in it. Three, like I said, the heart of that story with with him and the boss and the betrayal of the United States government. But Metal Gear Solid four and five were just absurdly convoluted in metal gear solid four's case just dialogue is just like you're zoning out through this like hour-long conversation having no idea what anyone's talking about and metal gear 5 i haven't played but for the most part people are pretty unhappy with the story in that game it seemed like an afterthought there was no story yeah metal gear solid 5 like they know like they had things that were in the game but nothing ever connected together there were like the whole act three of the game was taken out like it's yeah. just crazy it ends at act two and that's a kojima that's a konami thing right that's konami's fault not kojima's yeah fault. they took out a, a whole mission um with like uh, liquid um well kid liquid like taking uh the metal gear yeah know, trying to get it back like that that whole thing was taken out yeah and that's, that's that a really pivotal thing now have people played other kojima games by chance like the zone of the enders police knots Stuff like that. Sure. They're pretty, like they're pretty decent stories. It's like they're not groundbreaking like Metal Gear Solid. Now, and I know that's what Kojima is attempting to do with Death Stranding here, but to me, it feels like the the only series he's had like a really like weird, like epic. I don't even know how to describe Metal Gear. <laughs> just beyond like just amazing storytelling. Yeah, besides like um like he's done some pretty safe titles also on top of that so like i'm it's another cautiously optimistic scenario with me that with dust stranding like you have to sell me on a whole new product now he's just he's been beating me metal gear forever so I, I think that's it too i, I don't want to come across as if i'm already criticizing the story that i don't know or that i'm criticizing it for being weird it's just i don't think they've done a very good a very good job of promoting it or selling it because yeah. like Mike said, we don't, we don't really have any idea what this game's about. And uh, to me, that's more of a promotional problem than, uh, you know, Maybe criticizing a the game in advance. Problem. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. you want your trailer to give you a hook, right? Like what's the yeah. hook of this game? Like, what am I going to spend most of my time doing? Or is like, what is the main character trying to do? Like, what's my mm-hmm. objective? And yeah. you want that in movies as well as games. Like most movies, like give you the premise, like, within the first five seconds of the trailer, right? Yeah. It's almost as if it's 
kind of taking the Katase approach and that we're just going to like put vague stuff out there and hope that the community talks about it. And you see lots mm -hmm. of YouTube videos with little arrows yeah. pointing at little details and, you know, uh, the, you can all these the, brainstorming ideas surrounding it. That almost seems as if that's the intention to me anyways. The difference with Kojima is a lot of the stuff he does or the way he answers something is 100% deliberate. Like if you saw like his whole thing with like Metal Gear Solid 5, like he was intentionally like throwing vague clues and stuff into like his interviews or when he was explaining something and stuff like that. And he's doing the same thing here with Death Stranding. The game's going to come out and we're going to find things and we're going to be like comparing it to stuff he said before. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think the expectation he's having is we're going to be like mind blown. Yeah, he... I'm not. Go, Go ahead. ahead. Okay. Well, I was just going to say he did the same thing like back in Metal Gear Solid 2 on the PS2. Like oh, there was yeah. a demo of the game where you could play a snake. And then when you actually played that portion right, we're actually right you know, in the <laughs> game, you're right. It. And yeah. he's like, Plot yeah, that was on purpose. Yeah. Like that was, I, that was deliberate. Because it's it, trolling hard. It, 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 and it tied into the theme of the game and that like Raiden right. is supposed to be like the. Uh, yeah the player but like the also like wanting to be snake right and yeah. so yeah i can't remember that, exactly it's been a long time but i know but that there's it, a meta there element a there's there's yeah. always meta elements to the to those yeah. games right yeah. like the thing is that fourth if, wall if, breaking if, stuff if that is what he's trying to do i'm not sure it's really working <laughs> because the the prevailing kind of feeling that i get maybe i just don't talk in the right communities for this specific game but the the general sense i'm getting is that people are just kind of like what even is this like i don't even see a whole lot of speculation necessarily they're just like they just kind of gave up <laughs> it's yeah. like what am i even looking at here it's just like it's just too weird yeah it's hard for me to even get through the trailer to be honest you know yeah. so the, the idea of buying the the product is right now anyways yeah okay i, I don't even really still know what the little fetus does <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you guys think of Watch Dogs Legion? Any any excitement for that from anyone? I'm not no. really into that, but when I saw some of the ideas, I thought it was interesting. I haven't watched the Ubisoft thing at all, so I'm. Little... I, I couldn't believe the idea. It just seems so ambitious to me that it's almost too good to be true well, that you can literally recruit anyone in the game, anyone, any NPC at all, could become. Like, how did they voice? And that was, I mean, I'm that, surely they're going to do like a, a Skyrim thing where you hear the same guy's voice like 20,000 times yeah. for all the different NPCs they, and stuff. They but, could alter the voices, like have have a bunch of lines and then just like alter the voices somewhat, you know, yeah. the voice modulation or whatever. Like, like I have absolutely no investment in Watch Dogs as a series or as a story or anything else. But if nothing else, that concept alone from mm -hmm. just a technical leap sort of standpoint in the industry is something that really hooked me. Like how, how, how could you possibly do what you say you're going to do? <laughs> That's, that seems ridiculous. And I've got to see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing that kind of hooked me is is the fact that how is that technically technically possible? And for that, I watched that entire I think it was like an hour or something like that. And to me, that was that was the highlight for me. Anyways, was just uh, from a technical standpoint, how does this happen? The fact that you can 
you know, recruit a granny off the street and she's going to go out there and like <laughs> yeah. pull some kind of like bomb thing out of her, her briefcase. <laughs> okay, here you go. You know, it was, well, it was so wacky, but I, like, <laughs> I like the idea of it, but I'm oh. apprehensive that it's going to be executed well for well, all the reasons. Gotta be, there's got to be some level of, um, procedural generation with this yeah. right i mean they're not they're not going to actually create a like bio and like character names for every person in the whole city yeah so i would it's, assume there's some procedural generation going on there but again like i just don't i don't know it's crazy it is a really wacky concept and that does turn me on a bit because it, it kind of tells me that they're not taking this super seriously like they're kind of having fun with it yeah I, I can respect that sentiment Sure. Well, and th- I love the idea of permadeath too. It's like mm-hmm. these people are dead; they're dead forever. But like, that's okay. You have the whole city worth mm-hmm. of people you could go like recruit in their place and just like get to know all these different people. And uh, it just seems so ambitious to me that I'm just like I'm flabbergasted by the concept. Like, I really want to see how they try and make it work. This sounds like a game that's going to be more entertaining watching a YouTuber do it than <laughs> yourself, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like one of those games. Now, me personally, if I was streaming, I would probably find every grandmother I can and all <laughs> reconvene at the country kitchen buffet. Just have a grand old time. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I mean, this would be the perfect game that they would want you to stream, right? Because oh, the yeah. fact that you're watching a YouTuber stream the game and they're making all these little decisions that you may not make, your your playthrough of the game is going to be probably completely different than the person you just watched. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I, anyways, I'm so, I'm so freaking interested to see how it's done. Um, what about uh, Xbox Scarlet? Any thoughts on that? I'm not buying an 8K television. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially not now. They're freaking tens of thousands of dollars or whatever. But yeah, yeah. it's nice that they're thinking in the future to make sure the box lasts for like probably like ten years. But there's nothing really else special about it. It's, uh, I mean, solid state drives. It's nice to have them in consoles finally, but we what I would solid state drives for ten years. Yeah, solid state drives don't last that long, man. They really don't. (laughs) What I was expecting was I was expecting a whole announcement of all these games that were specifically coming only to the next Xbox console. And they, they, man, they announced so many games, but a lot of them were games that were coming out on other consoles. And I didn't really see anything that like really appealed to me that would be exclusive to this. So I can't really, it's hard for me to really grasp am, the, the power I, of this. Am I misremembering or did they say this was going to be backwards compatible with all the other Xbox systems? The current, uh, I think they Xbox did say one that. is backwards compatible. So they didn't say anything about Scarlet though. Not that I remember. They, they only sold Scarlet as a concept, not what, uh, not what other things they could do. Or like, mm-hmm. it's just like, we've done the latest yada yada technology to the processor and stuff like that. That's really all they said. Oh, and here's Halo that's going to come out with it. So this yeah, is gonna... which they showed no gameplay for. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that just seemed like a bunch of techno babble to me. I mean, I know what it means, but I, like, I, I need like visual concepts shown to me mm-hmm. to, to get me excited because otherwise you're just like, Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be so powerful. And what is it? Okay. Four times, four times the Xbox One, or something like that in power. Yeah. So show me something that's four times the Xbox One uh, yeah, X power. Really. I want to see right. it. They didn't give a cost, did they? No. There's no. Yeah. Cost. yeah. That, that's the thing I'm <clears throat> curious about because I mean, they keep having to push these consoles more and more 
but it's to the point where it's getting too expensive to, to push consoles as far as people really want them to be pushed. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what they did with the Xbox One X was pretty impressive, and they're probably going to do something similar to that. But. Well, Reconius, Reconius is saying there is an interview with Phil Spencer that dropped yesterday. It is uh, backwards compatible with all Xboxes. Nice. Mm. That's no, cool. See, I, I knew I heard that somewhere. That's pretty cool. That's, yeah. I mean, that's the one thing that I can honestly say for this is that, that that's pretty sweet, and it, it irritates me so much that the ps5 is only supposed to be backwards compatible with the ps4 because Mm -hmm. i i mean i've the other weekend i watched youtube videos on people hacking amazon fire sticks to to emulate playstation games and it just it just irritates me that like the ps5 can't play playstation games without me going to their store and buying Mm -hmm. the game again so i I think i think it would be easy to get ps1 and 2 but wasn't ps3's like console construction pretty like freaking yeah, i can understand the ps3 yeah. but it was a mess yeah that's why they prefer you to buy the playstation now service right yeah so to microsoft credit yeah. yeah to microsoft's credit like each of their consoles have been pretty simple uh from xbox or 360 to one to whatever scarlet's gonna be so i can imagine being easier to get some backwards compatibility on that mm-hmm. like Especially the PlayStation, like you just said, the PlayStation 3, the processing on that is so wacky that if they added a PS, like, in, like an internal PS3 support for that PS5, it would probably add about a 100 $150 to the price of the console. Well, they probably so you don't, go ahead. They, they could do emulation. And honestly, if, that, if the consoles are going to be as powerful as they are, there's really no reason they wouldn't be able to because the PS3 emulator on PC is pretty impressive already and they're still working on it. But I mean, gosh, Sony's got all the code they need to, they've got, they, they know the hardware intimately. They could replicate that whole thing exactly in code for some software emulation. They use the uh, emulator for PlayStation one classic, right? So mm-hmm. what's stopping them? What's stopping <laughs> yeah. them? <laughs> yeah. An open source emulator. And if there's something that we're we're not really seeing that would increase the cost for just PS3, okay, do P- PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, and PlayStation 4. It's a weird thing to say, but I would be so down for that. And the fact that you don't have that disappoints me. And I and it's not a huge criticism. It's just the fact that when I see Microsoft and I try to ask, like, well, what can you do or what what games do you have that would make me want to spend this much money? When they offer that, I think that's something that's really special to certain people. So, yeah, I think that's yeah. definitely a plus. Yeah, I'm not saying I agree with this type of mindset, but something they might be thinking is the mass majority of our audience probably doesn't own PS1 and PS2 games anymore. Mm-hmm. So why do we bother putting these things on there? Let's just offer a few of the popular ones digitally and make them happy instead of having to uh, increase the hardware price sure. with it. Make it more expensive. Yeah, that's <laughs> the whole thing, making things more expensive. Because remember when the PS3 launched with PS2 support mm-hmm. uh, and it was $600 for the console? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, they had to get that PS2 uh, internal hardware out to make the PS3 a more affordable price. But is that really a bottleneck right now for PlayStation One and Two games? For them, for me to be able to take a PlayStation One game and stick it in the, in the disc drive and have it be able to play that way, would that be that much increase in price? I I can't imagine it would be. You know, 
Uh, maybe, maybe not. They do sell these consoles at a loss, so. That's true. They're trying to cut corners as much as possible. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me rush through a couple of these real quick that I don't have much to say about. Dragon Quest Eleven Definitive Edition coming to the Switch. It looks awesome. You said um, rush, and then you bring up Dragon Quest with me. Well, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm really excited for that version of it. It's going to have the orchestral soundtrack, the uh, sprite version, the 2D Mm -hmm. sprite version that you can uh, Mm -hmm. toggle between. This is going to be the version to play. So I'm I'm absolutely going to get that. So for anyone who had questions about whether or not I was excited for DQ11 on the Switch, yes. In fact, Nintendo's entire conference, while not necessarily... The strongest conference ever it's not a conference as a direct but by the way the direct format is so much better i don't know why anyone's doing conferences anymore it's just so much like cleaner snappier i get that it's cool to like be in person and all the hype and the people screaming and stuff but then you can't hear the freaking games music like ff7 remake because people are hollering over the top of it <laughs> um, mike we need those cars on stage we need that cool car. i i just don't get it uh <laughs> but uh, the thought that I had during Nintendo's Direct was, wow, do you know what? It's been a couple of years, but like the Switch is really looking like something that is an excellent, excellent console to have. It mm-hmm. has so much stuff on it. And this, so Dragon Quest XI Definitive Edition, it came later. So if anyone who bought it at launch, you know, you've already played it, but like at least they're giving you the definitive edition on the Switch, right? So it's like, it's not just, oh, here's a game that we're, a year and a half late on or two years late on. I don't even know what it's, how long it's been. I'll say on top of that for uh, just real quick, just on top of that for veterans of already the first game, if you really want to play through it again uh, or want to get the Nintendo switch version, just remember there's the 16 bit version. You can play through the entire game. Yeah. 16 bit instead of That's awesome. the original. That's awesome. Right? I'm doing that. It's going to be, it's going to be great. I'm super stoked for it. But on top of that, and I loved this for a couple of reasons. I think even like the implication that it's possible is what's so cool about it. Is The Witcher 3 coming to the Switch? And this is what Hat brought up earlier is one of the things you were most excited about to see. On top of The Witcher 3 being a great game, I don't know for sure if I will pick it up on the Switch. Uh, but just the fact that they could bring it to the Switch in the first place yeah. sort of... I feel vindicated by that because we've made claims in the past that games like Kingdom Hearts 3 or Final Fantasy 7 Remake could find their way to the Switch. That it's not out of the question. And a lot of people at the time were like, oh, it's impossible. Switch is nowhere near powerful enough. But we kept saying, no, it's about scalability, right? As long as the engine allows for scalability, which uh, <laughs> Unreal 4 engine does for sure. The Witcher 3 was not made in Unreal Engine 4, but if you look at it, because that that footage was captured from a Switch, and you look at the ground textures, it's like, oh, PS2 era. Yeah. PS2 era, welcome back, you know? (laughs) Like, obviously, it's taken a huge hit graphically, but those are things you wouldn't see as much in, like, undocked mode, right? You wouldn't really notice them as much. Um, But the fact that there is the possibility to bring an enormous game very complex game like the witcher 3 a a definitely like a current era current gen game to the switch like that and the fact that like a doom and doom eternal are coming to the switch like bethesda has done this Mm -hmm. uh, with skyrim well skyrim was last gen but you know what i mean like the fact that we can get current gen games from other consoles onto the switch because they're scalable 
I think means that, you know, the Switch just to me seemed to prove itself during this conference. We still got lots of great stuff coming like Metroid 4, but we're getting another Zelda game, which will come out really quick because they're reusing assets from Breath Breath of the Wild, Wild, like kind of a Majora's Mask Ocarina of Time thing. So Mm. that's great. We're finally going to get two... It's it's funny to call it this because like Link's Awakening is coming to the Switch, right? But traditionally yeah. that was their Zelda mobile division that would have made that for like the 3DS or something. Right. Um, but two, I'm going to call them console Zelda games in the same console era. We haven't had that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you count the ports of like Twilight Princess, but I don't really count that. It's a weird ordeal because the 3DS is pretty much done. So you tell yeah. yourself, how how do we give our audience the handheld Zelda experience and the console Zelda experience? And I, their answer is, just put them both on the same console. Just, yeah. just go between the two. Uh, bring like the handheld ones to go in between the major console ones. So it's kind of what's happening right now. Link's mm-hmm. Awakening Remake is pretty much the in-between game for the next big console game. Yeah. And, I mean, that game itself looks amazing. I want to play the hell out of that also. I'm afraid well, I'm going to beat it in like two nights. Talk, talk about it. Uh, what's got you excited for Link's Awakening? I, I for one, am, am not, but I want to hear your take on it. Well, first off, it's my favorite handheld game ever made. Me too. And <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just a nice excuse to play through it again. I like the fact that it has like the seamless map instead of just like uh, switching between screens. Uh, I like the music that came from it. I like the little uh, addition they added with the Dampy uh, dungeon creator that you can make. Um, yeah, I'm that not sure interesting. You can put that online or share it with people, but I would assume you could do something like that. But um, there's that. I mean, for the most part, the game is going to be a um, one-by-one remake of the original, but I find that's okay. This is like one of those uh, low-budget Zeldas. Um, not low-budget, but like um, smaller handheld experience. And uh, I don't know. I'm just all for it. The, the nostalgia gets the best of me. Um, <laughs> I kind of argue sometimes that if they could have done something more akin to like Link Between Worlds, where it could have been like the same world, but like different dungeon layouts or something like that. But this one... Yeah a complete one by one but it's a little hard to do a reimagining of this because this was a passion project and they just went all out all weird with it like you'll find mario characters in the game you can find yeah, <laughs> yeah. from uh, doki doki panic slash mario 2 uh in there it's like they they just did not care you can find kirby too so it's a little hard to do a uh, spiritual successor to that unless it's like oracle of ages and seasons but uh, I don't know. It's mostly nostalgia for me. And think, people who've uh, never played it before, I think are going to have a real good time with it also. I Raconius, think this... Oh, okay, sorry, quick, uh, Raconius Live brings up favorite handheld game of all time, looks at FF7 Switchboard. I want to clarify that I, I think you <laughs> meant to say it was your favorite handheld game, period. I was thinking you were saying favorite Zelda handheld game, which is what it is for me. So I'm not, I'm not like the biggest fan of the handheld Zelda pantheon personally i've beaten very few of them i really liked uh uh minish cap and and this was my favorite one uh the the game boy version of link's awakening um so just wanted to clarify that go ahead uh hat i think this game link's awakening uh, 
is a perfect example of the way my mind operates. And then uh, in contrast to maybe like the way Eric was perceiving it, whenever I look at something, I tend to look from the lens of, uh, well, what would be better? Right. And when people, <laughs> people look at it like, oh, this is cool, you know, or mm. oh, this is interesting. You know, they tend to, they tend to appreciate things more, but whenever I, it's just a character flaw. I think I look at something and I always ask myself, well, what would be better? And when I can't come up with something that would be better, I feel like it's a great experience, right? So when I look at this and I look at that, like that introduction, I just think, why didn't you just make the entire game like that? that Thank been you. Better. Yes. The art style bugs me so much because oh, I love the, the little animated intro. Like that was yeah. really cool. That's in, what I wanted. In a lot of ways, it's paralleled because you you get the same kind of feeling in the Game Boy version where you have this kind of this really cool sort of, you know, yeah, an, animated was... intro and then it goes to the gameplay which is totally different. So in the but same now, but now the... now we are talking about legitimately what Kitase was pretending was the, the Game problem Boy's with the 7. Yeah, yeah you, but... <laughs> you technically you could not have ever thought about doing that art style in the gameplay so yeah. you're meant to it suggests this is what he really looks like even though you're little like two pixel high sprite guy running around but it, but but it he really looks like this it works I would... it works thematically because it's supposed to be like this kind of dreamlike scenario so i don't i don't love the look of the art style like it but but it, i kind of get what they're going for i think it doesn't quite capture what the game boy original looked like so so i so i from a nostalgic point of view, I'm like, oh, it's not like I remember it. But in the same way, I kind of get what they're going for. And and I can see that they're they're trying to be faithful. You know? What I would argue is that the art style presented at the beginning of the game would not translate to the wacky nature that Link's Awakening has. I don't think as well. And another thing is the original game has an animated, a kind of animated opening scene too. So I think they're just doing a one by one of that also. Yep. Just being faithful to the core, just have that animated opening before. Um, because Link doesn't look much like he does in the animated thing. Like he has darker hair, and that's all because, you know, it, it was a black and white game. Right. But um And that that's kind of my point, is that like the technological problems made it so that you couldn't really like that's why I feel like the animated intro is Here's what the dude really looks like. But when you're playing the game, it's like, this is what we can, this is what actually will stand out on a black and white, like monochrome background. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously it, that's the intention of the original. But... Right. Yeah. And I would imagine if I, if I had to guess on how the Zelda crew worked, if they did a different enough type of deal to Link's Awakening, then they would probably say to themselves, why don't we just make a new game? Because they kind of did the same thing with a link, a link to the past and link between worlds, is that they were originally going to make a remake to the link to the past, but then they were like saying to themselves, you know, we've changed a lot and we brought everything up to 3D type of standard. Why don't we just make a new game out of it? Mm. So I think if they went a little too far on that graphical standard, they probably would have just gone sidetracked and made something new. To it's be actually, honest, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Hat. No, you started. Go ahead. Well, I 
the first time I saw the first trailer, the first thing that clicked to me, and this may be an unfair comparison, but the first time I, uh, the first game I, I correlated this with was, and I don't think it's this bad, but the Secret of Mana remake, that's exactly what I thought in my head. Like, why is the art style like that? Why are you doing that? Why You're is this not... dangerous territory, buddy? <laughs> but I do not think it's, I, I want to be clear. I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it'll, <laughs> that game was not very good. I think this game will at least be good. Well, I do, I do think there's an intentionality to it. Like they're going for this kind of toyish art style, and I think they're trying sure. to they're trying to present the world as the kind of dreamlike state that it really is. Which I I get that thematically, but sure. uh, to to the point to the point that uh, Bellhart made earlier, I think that's a that's a good point about the uh, uh, link between worlds. Because what they did there was they kind of paid homage to it. They did a really good job. And that game probably made people actually go back and play the original. So in some ways, I think doing that is probably better for the original game than trying to remake it. Because you remake it and you're like replacing it. Whereas in this case, you're kind of you're paying homage and, and giving people a reason to go back and check out the original. Sure. Yeah, EG did... Uh, did mention in their interview that a reason they wanted to bring Link's Awakening back was because the game is not uh, as easily accessible as it uh, was back then. Even though you can get it on the 3DS uh, under digital download, mm-hmm. but he, that's the argument he was making that like he wanted the he wanted uh, people to experience this game that people did back then. And the original game you can't. Or, or at least you can't find without looking like at a virtual console. So do you think that those of you here that really like what was presented, do you think you would have liked it less if they did stick with that initial art style that you saw in the introduction of that tr- first trailer? I don't know how they would. But it, okay. Well, it's a, with a similar technique to say that uh, like uh, DB Fighters db fighter z or blaze blue you know these cel-shaded games that look yeah. like they are literally hand-drawn in 2d but that's in that, what i would think in that case then you're kind of you're remaking the whole thing whereas this is more of a one-to-one remastering i guess well i think yeah. you could still do it from the top top-down view in the same art style well let me ask in a different way what if the miniature character like on like the characters on there looked like just like more miniature forms of the uh, art design counterpart, like uh, like in the Link Between Worlds, like the character looks like a small 3D model version of the concept character they were showing on the box. Is that something you guys were thinking more when you thought you know if this game was getting remastered or remade? That's more in the direction I would say, but. Because these look like toys, the, yeah. the characters, and and I like that personally. But I understand why the toy, like the toy aspect of the character, is not looking appealing to other people. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not like a huge fan of it. Actually, I I just kind of understand what they're going for, but I really don't like it per se. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while we're on the topic of Zelda, actually, dude, you've been quiet for a while. Anything you had wanted to add to? Oh that? well, on Link's Awakening, I'm kind of just neutral on it um i like the way it looks um i played the original back on the game boy a long time ago but it's i don't know it's it's not grabbing me and maybe that's due to the art style but i actually think i'll 
play it, it like when there's a price drop or something. But it's Nintendo. There is no price drop. That's very true. <laughs> very true yeah. And but it, in years, it's, it's not really on my like on the top of my list. Dude, but it looks fine. I have nothing against it. And to the people who are looking forward to it, I hope it's great. Like I hope it's everything they want. So, yeah. Um, while we're on the topic of Zelda, Breath of the Wild two announcement or a sequel to Breath of the Wild. Now that's something I can get into. (laughs) I was excited for the announcement. That's for sure. I was surprised. You can say that's something I can get into also. (laughs) Uh, I I. I think I've said this in the past, but my favorite Zelda game is Majora's Mask. Mm. So I really like that um, darker, almost like Alice in Wonderland type feel to it. I like that you don't have, well, this is already proving to have the whole Zelda Link Ganondorf trifecta story, right? I mean, it's it's right there in the trailer with the revival of Ganondorf, it looks like, or Ganon. I don't know what that thing Maybe. is, but it looks like Ganon. Um but I mean, Majora's Mask has nothing to do with that. It's like a new world kind of, you know, Termina versus Hyrule kind of a deal. It just felt so unique. But the cool and, thing was, it was technically linked from Ocarina of Time. You were yeah. looking at Navy, but you stumbled upon this whole new world and whole new thing you had to take care of. Yeah. But that tone, they sort of had elements or moments of it in twilight princess which had an overall kind of a darker aesthetic to it i really like it of all the zelda games console zelda games i should specify um the art style of twilight princess is my favorite um i really like link's design of that game i i love the concept of like the mirror where you go into like the twilight realm like there's just so much about it i really liked i thought it was a very slow game i thought it was very slow paced in the beginning took a really long time to actually be Link in the garb going through a dungeon. I think I had pacing issues, which is why it's not my favorite Zelda game. But it's been a while since we've had a return to that side of Zelda. Mm-hmm. Uh, parts of Ocarina of Time really, really felt this way. Majora's Mask fully felt this way. Twilight Princess had elements of it, but um, it's just been a while. And so I'm I'm really, really excited that that is kind of where they're going with it. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, they were talking about the some of the, the guys on the dev team are, are looking at like Red Dead Redemption 2 for some influence. And, you know, that just that trailer itself, just the whole tone of it, I really loved. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they got like the same world map from Breath of the Wild. It's all right there. Uh, same. I don't know if they're going to use that map. Yeah. What do you think they're going to do? I think they're going to give you a whole new world. Uh, what I think is personally going to happen from what I saw in the trailer, I think something's going to happen where Link gets separated from Zelda again. Rather, she stays in the world and he gets thrown in, or she gets captured for some reason and he decides to go in. But um, I think somehow you lose your Master Sword. You get stumbled into this new world and new map to explore. Because remember, they recently just hired uh, more people into Monolith Soft to create a new map for mm-hmm. the Zelda series. So chances are they're going to use they're going to reuse assets for sure. There, there's no doubt about that. But I think they're going to make a whole new map out of it, especially since they have the assets to work with now. Because I, actually, I don't see any reason to explore the same map again. Yeah, in fact, that would be kind of annoying to, have to go through well, the whole same world again. But I was thinking. The way the way in that trailer 
how you see the castle kind of going up. It, yeah, it, so it, it takes it up somewhere into like the I, sky. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know if that was happening or if it was like raising up to to like some greater castle labyrinth or something. I mean, I could see this turning into some kind of like big dungeon crawl like experience. This is what I'm hoping it is. Um, the one thing I didn't like about Breath of the Wild is that the only real dungeon was uh, Hyrule Castle, and I thought mm-hmm. that was beautifully set up. It was an open world dungeon that you could approach pretty much any way you wanted to. What I hope they do is they put you in a new world and they take that concept and they make like eight to 10 more dungeons, spread them out in the map, make less shrines, have those big dungeons, approach them how you want to in any order you want, and then fight a hard boss at the end of it. And I mean, something like that would make the map a lot more dynamic. So here's here's the thing that I saw from that, and I don't know if I'm right to speculate on it or not, but I would really love to see. I've been I've been calling for this for years, actually. Zelda and Link traveling together. Can we please have co-op, mm-hmm. where yeah. one person plays as Zelda and one person plays as Link? I, I'm begging Nintendo. Please let us do that. Or if you're playing single player, maybe you have to like let this person stay over here for a while. You switch to this character and you go solve this part of the dungeon. And then you switch back to the other person and solve that part of the dungeon. You yeah. kind of cooperatively. I want that so bad. I cannot even tell you. We've I seen, really want to play as Zelda and Link. We've seen taste of that, but they could really flesh that out. I with hope like, they uh, do. With like four swords games, mm-hmm. right? They kind of have that or in like Wind Waker game design to them a little yeah. bit. I would say a big maybe. Uh, I would be for that if they did it. Um, Spirit tracks, yeah. Or at the very least, like let uh, Zelda be kind of your guide type of person, uh, similar to, but let her like follow you around and stuff like that. But she's not like intrusive to how you play the game. Um, you don't have to worry about her or anything like that. But I want, I want to literally fight people as Zelda. That's what I want. <laughs> Use her, but like, or you could have it where Link is the sword master and. Zelda is the bow user. You can switch between the two. But yeah, because the, the core concept is, would have to be based around that. The thing is, in this, in the latest Smash, they were like, "Oh, we don't want the Breath of the Wild Zelda because she's not a fighter." You know, get out of here. Yeah, that that was the reason. Get and and here. and my thought is, what what was she doing that whole time when she was holding off Ganon? Like, come on, you're going to tell me she's not strong? I mean, she was using the power of the Triforce to hold. Yeah, but I mean, come on. She wow. technically does not fight at all in. Um, she even gives you the bow in um, the fight, the final fight against Ganon. Like, she gives it to you, and she's like, bye-bye, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sneaky uh, brings up, or do it the God of War way, where you can kind of, like, you know, you can call the bully mm-hmm. in to, like, shoot arrows at the right time or kind of combo with you. Oh, that's true. They could, could do something could like that. That could work, too. I would rather literally just control Zelda one-to-one and slice dudes up, but yeah. or, or shoot, I don't know, just something. One I have a feeling this could be single player. I mean, I'd be surprised yeah. if it was multiplayer, but I, I do think it would be single player. I think what the idea he just said, I think, would be the closest to a, a Zelda co-op. Mm. One observation I had, and full disclosure, I'm not the biggest Zelda fan, but one observation that I had, and maybe you all can clarify, but I thought it was kind of strange the way it was presented, though, as uh, you know, we don't have the name of the game. It's just called the sequel to the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. 
Uh, I thought I didn't know. I guess I read more into that. And I thought that, you know, it was just going to be in that same world. And because of the way that was phrased, I thought it was strange that it didn't say the Legend of Zelda and the whatever, you know, the the, the actual name reveal, given they've shown so much in this initial trailer. So that was kind of my observation on what was shown. It suggests to me that the game is not coming anytime soon <laughs> well that's the one yeah. way you can look at it is well they're not ready to give the, the actual name of the game they haven't decided yet and and that's a possibility it's just i guess we were talking a little bit earlier about you know uh i think you need to show sooner. it this early i think it'll come sooner just because they're reusing assets yeah um sure. what took breath of the wild so long is they started from scratch they did not use the ocarina of time formula like they did for uh, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, and Skyward Sword. Like mm-hmm. they they scrapped that engine and started from yeah. scratch with this. So, but that's now they, they have that's the why they had to. That's why they had to bring the Xeno uh, Blade team to help them, like get it all working right. Like like physics were a problem. Like the engine was the biggest issue. And everyone, there's all this people out there speculating that there's going to be a like a Xeno Blade Chronicles Zelda game. <laughs> I mean, be... you could get Xeno Blade Chronicles armor in Breath of the Wild. There's that. No. There's that. Okay, let's fly through the rest of these um, Smash characters. How'd you guys feel about Banjo Kazooie <clears throat> and uh, Dragon Quest Heroes? Oh, cool. so beautiful! Awesome, so isn't it? But so great uh, is like they chose like all the heroes that have like sword and shields like by default. Yeah, in those games, and they picked the right ones too. Those are the popular ones. If that, if, if you had to pick. Uh, uh, heroes for it. What I thought they would do originally is they would just have Erdric the th- uh, from Dragon Quest uh, three, and just yeah. like you pick between the male and female counterpart. But they went full on. They out went with this. all the way, yeah. yeah. And they seem to have different mechanics too, unless they're literal clones. But it seemed like each of them had like slightly different moves, right? Or they're all or the same. They're all the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just different skins. Okay. So but, uh, do you think it'll take up one slot in the in the one roster? Slot in Echo Fighters. Okay. But uh they have this really cool ultimate smash where they get every hero, main hero from Dragon Quest 1 to 11 all together and they do one big final smash. Oh, that's pretty sweet. They showed that in the uh gameplay and it was just that was epic. I love that they put um, Banjo Kazooie in, though. I always yeah. thought that they they had the baseline for that with uh, Duck Hunt. It's mm-hmm. like you got Duck Hunt there. Like even if it's an Echo Fighter, it should be easy. But it, does he seem to be an Echo Fighter? Doesn't really look like it. No, it looks like he has an new. original move set. All the like, new characters are going to be their own thing. Yeah. Kind of in line with what Sneaky One was saying there you, uh, about he's a Microsoft testing the market for the next Banjo game. I mean, you got to wonder kind of what this means. <laughs> yeah. Is <laughs> You know, I was really hoping for after that that they announce uh, Banjo Kazooie HD port for the Switch. I was like, come on, come on, come on, come on! But they didn't do it. But yeah. I hope they will in the future, since now, buddy, uh, Microsoft and Nintendo are buddy buddy with each other. Sure. Um. Okay. And what about? Uh. Let's see here. Pokemon. Any of you guys fans of Pokemon? Did you like Sword and Shield stuff? I have nothing to say on that. Yeah. Mm. I might pick it up, but that's about the extent of my thoughts right now. I will pick yeah. it up. Me and my uh, me and my girlfriend are gonna pick it up and play uh-huh. it together. I think it's gonna be really fun in that aspect. The um, most notable thing to me uh, looks like 
they went with the Pokemon Let's Go route where there's no more random encounters, like at least mm. on the uh, when mm. you go through the tall grass, you can actually see the Pokemon that's in there. I do want to avoid them. That's yeah. good. Yeah, and in the world also, map also. Yeah, if you don't see the one you want that you want to catch, you can just run into anyone and then I guess run away and it just resets all the spawns in the in the tall grass when you come back to this to the exploration screen. So yeah, that's that's cool. I like that. That's a good yeah. feature. Yeah, it's just like a quality of life update that should just be the standard for every Pokemon game going forward. Uh, okay, Fire Emblem Three Houses. I've been a fan of the Fire Emblem series ever since it came to the West for the first time. I've played yes. them all. And uh, Fire Emblem is too anime for me now. I can't stand <laughs> it. It's way too anime for me. Uh, I, I hate I hate the way that like they structure trailers for these like anime games. It's like we're just gonna yeah. say this poetic nothing. Oh my gosh! Like there was a phrase. There was a phrase he said. There was a phrase he said in there that was so cringy. Oh. Uh, it, it was the guy. Well, I know exactly which one you're talking. Dimitri, about. I think, is his name. He was like, "We gotta come together." And with the power of friendship, and and that's how that's we how win. We, that's how we win. That's yeah. exactly what I think. I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> so one, bad. One, this writing is atrocious. It's so tropey, and it's just so one, one quote that dumb. I saw. It was it was just I couldn't see it, but it, it was uh, I, I don't know her name, but it's the woman I think with blonde hair, and she said, uh, "We must eliminate all who have unreasonable ideas of justice." Yes, it's like no one talks like that, man. <laughs> Nobody talks like this. I don't even really like the setup to the game. Like you're like the story is like you're essentially like this type of mercenary, but you get hired to be a professor at this like yeah, uh, military academy. academy that you can choose between the three. That's something I don't like in these fire emblems when they make you uh, choose like between like different factions. It's like hey, telling me hey, no, I have to play through a whole game again. At, at least it's one game. Because it feels so it like game. it feels like such a contrived mechanism yeah. to be like, see, they were all schoolmates and friends, but isn't it so tragic that now, now they have to have fight? To fight? <laughs> but like uh, that, yeah. see, that's exactly what they did with Fates, and yep. Fates is where I really started falling off. Is like this family loves you so much, and do you, do you know why you know that? Because they say it to you in the creepiest way over and over and over again. Oh my gosh, they just like fawn over you. We just love you so much. You're the best brother ever, and you're the greatest. And then you go to this family, and they're like, oh, we're so happy to have you back. You're just the greatest brother ever. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, they're fighting. What are you going to do? Oh! My families are fighting. It's like, I don't know any of you. I don't, I have no idea who these people are. I have no connection to them. I, uh, it's just awful, awful writing. That's why I like the revelations third story more than the other two, because it's like, I have no reason to go do either one of these sides. uh, That's the one I wanted, but they won't let me buy that unless I buy one of the other ones. Seriously. And they were so bad. That I only play for like five hours. I was like, I can't take it. The writing's just atrocious. Yeah. Alton Williams here. We need Matsuno for the next Fire Emblem. Seriously? Game. Oh my gosh! And so like, the, I, I, I don't even want to play it. And yeah. I'm a big Fire Emblem fan. I don't even want to play it. I, I do know. think they've got some interesting ideas. They've got some interesting ideas for the gameplay. So from oh, that sure. perspective, it looks it looks interesting to me. They're trying some new things. I'm I'm interested to see where that goes. But yeah, from a story perspective and not not really 
Well, I love how like the units in like the you know the the high perspective are just shown with one character, yeah. but then it like zooms yep. in. It's like a whole brigade or a whole platoon, or which whatever, is really right? kind of what you would think from an abstraction level. All the yeah. other games were trying to say exactly. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I like that visually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it re- they they do nail down the idea of, like of war and battle. That's what I really like about it. But then you go back to like the anime kids at school. It's like the same problem I have with Final Fantasy Type Zero. They're like, they're trying to tell this mature, dark story of like war and everything. Then we go back to the school with a bunch of JRPG <laughs> trope kids. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh man, you like, there's some, he- like, some conflict here of mm-hmm. tone. Yeah. Type Zero is a, a perfect example. And that's what I was thinking this whole time. But, you know, there's too much conflicting ideas there i mean war is a very tough environment it's a very very extreme environment it takes its toll on people so when you're in that element you know that that's one side of it and you show that but then you immediately in the next scene go to you know just crying because you can't go to like an ventilator or you know the the smallest thing is just a burst of emotion and it's just it 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 doesn't really gel together for me personally. Yeah. Like uh, it's interesting because like this has been done before where you have, you know, kind of like a war strategy game type of story, but like we're also in anime school. Right. And they did this with the Valkyria Chronicles uh, series, the second second one. one. And it introduced all kinds of new gameplay concepts that people enjoyed, but that was years ago. And there's now four Valkyria Chronicles games, and it's pretty much universally agreed upon that the second one is the worst, like <laughs> for this reason, because you have a conflicting tone, you, like in the story yep. is like dealing with like a civil war between the oh kingdom, man, and I did a I did a first class, look, you know, like <laughs> I did I did I did a first look on Valkyria Chronicles, I think it was. Yeah, and there's that scene where like uh, I, I don't know if I'm remembering exactly correctly, but like someone was like shot in the street or something like that. And then you like go to this old lady's house. Uh, What did she say? She says says, something like, Oh, you were shot at today. Crazy or something like that. It's just like such a passing thing. Like, Oh wow. What a day. It's just like, what the freaking? It's like, I was, someone just died just now. Crazy day. uh, Yeah. What if World War II was anime? That's kind of how I look that's at it. That's what it is. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. It's, oh, I can't stand it, man. I, the first, I, I, the first one isn't actually that bad, in my opinion. But the second one is like, yeah, it, it like goes over we the just top with that. Yeah, um, we just first, like fought a battle game... and killed a bunch of people. But then, and but then we're late for school, or we're worried about like what's mm, our picture going to look like in the yearbook? Trivial, it's just nonsense. Yeah. yeah, and it really comes down to general tone because that could be done well. It just like yeah. the whole game would have to be structured around that though. You've got, you can't have these conflicting tones. The first game did that well enough, but then I played Valkyria Revolution and I was like, uh oh, wow, this game is bad. Really bad. <laughs> <laughs> like the tone, the tone just like is so conflicting. Like there's a bunch of these generic anime characters trying to have these serious type of war stories. Like there's one of them like telling the backstory and it's mm-hmm. just like this colorful, cute, anime looking girl like this tragic past and i'm like fantastic let's go (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just interesting that they're making the same mistake is what it seems like to me but maybe japan just 
eats that stuff up. So apparently the fourth game's really mm-hmm. good. I haven't played it yet. Oh yeah, um, Doctor Chronicles Four is good. So this next one, I'm just gonna be really brief for me. I'm a huge fan of the original Dark Crystal, and I nearly lost my mind when the Netflix series was announced. Uh, I think it was last week or maybe the week before. Looks so good. I'm so stoked for that Dark Crystal uh, Netflix series that's coming up. Looks super faithful. The cinematography is beautiful. The puppeteering is amazing, mm-hmm. and they have this tie-in um, tactical RPG that looks they're terrible. doing. And uh, I, I, I'm keeping my eye on it, but I haven't really seen any gameplay really from it. Uh, but that was, I was shocked that mm-hmm. such a thing exists. I was like, what? So, <laughs> like the, the, the show and everything aside, like from what I saw, it, it, I just, I don't know. I only saw a minute long trailer, but it was very like, there was over this over the top music, which was great. And it's like very energetic. Um, narration and it was really really exciting but then the gameplay like the little shots of gameplay was just really slow and it was very conflicting with the way it was being presented and uh, there was one scene where like this like pillar falls over and i saw the like the sprite like acted like it hit him in the head before the like the pillar was even anywhere near his body it it just looked really really rough to me so i i i think it could quite possibly be a marketing gimmick they're just trying to get as many people aware of the netflix show as possible but um i'm gonna i'm gonna actually i think they did a treehouse little playthrough of it i haven't watched it yet but i, I want to okay. keep my eye on it and see if uh see if it looks any good but anyways that's kind of a just a passing thing more to announce my adoration of the original movie and my <laughs> wild excitement for the netflix show more than my actual care about this like game that they're making but it's coming to the Switch, so that's cool. Um, okay, I think the last thing I have here... Shadowbringers. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> we'll let you talk about that in a second, but I was going to bring up uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, no, there's nothing for me to talk about on that. It's you won't understand. It seems okay. Like, it seems better than, like, most recent Star Wars games have been, for sure. Mm. Um, it's like Uncharted... Star Wars. It the only thing that to me felt um off was the animation. It feels really like clunky and like snappy into like keyframes versus like having like a smooth trend like momentum that makes sense. Because he's like running on these walls and his momentum is moved entirely forward and it's like his momentum's coming to its end. But then like he starts running on the wall. As if like this new burst of momentum happened, and you could explain it away with Jedi powers or whatever, but it just doesn't look smooth and snappy. Even like a lot of the the, the battle animations and stuff, and that feels a bit weird to me. But I kind of like, um, I just like lightsaber fighting. I think it's tight <laughs> anytime that they have it, and so like I I always want to at least give something a shot if there are lightsabers and I can block lasers and cut people up and stuff um i really loved uh jedi outcast as alton williams is bringing up jedi knight 2 that's one of my favorite star wars games and uh if nothing more than like a callback to those jedi knight games that i loved um i'd like to at least try a demo for it or something see how it feels to play it um but i know they're kind of tying this into the rogue one uh, character what is his name 
forget his name. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Forrest Whitaker's Whitaker. character. Forrest right? Whitaker plays yeah, him. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyways, him a bit younger. So this is before like Rogue One, when all the Jedi are being hunted down. Seems interesting, but I'm definitely going to be waiting a bit to make a choice on whether or not I'm going to try and buy that or not. But, um, okay. Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, go for it, Eric. Take it away. <laughs> there's not, there's not much talk about. It. I mean, a, a lot of the trailer is in within the context of the current part of the story. But I will say, it was an absolute amazing trailer. Like everyone who's a fan of the game, just like got a lot out of it. Now, I will say there is a particular part at the very end of the trailer that is such a big spoiler. It absolutely changes everything that we've learned ever since the game first came out in 2010. Oh, wow. Like, it's it's a mind-blowing thing. If, if you're an FF14 player and if you... Like, it's, it's like the last 15 seconds of the trailer. Like, you watch everything in the trailer, but that last 15 seconds... If you don't want to be spoiled, I have a major like plot revelation like spoiler like that. Don't watch that. But um, uh, but there's not much else to say besides that uh, we haven't. But the game comes out technically on the twenty eighth. So pre-ordered it. I have a question for you. It seems like they're selling this game almost as its own thing. Like, isn't there a Switch version of Shadowbringers? Or am I totally mistaken on that? I saw like a PS4 no. package with it. Do you yeah. have to have the base game to play this or can you play it by itself? No, you have to have everything. Okay, but what, what they do now every time is they sell the whole game uh, in a package for like a normal retail price. And then they'll sell uh, Shadowbringers separate. So when the next expansion comes out, Shadowbringers will be added to that collection. Uh, and then you're you're never going to buy like four games. You're always going to buy two at minimum. Gotcha. So or two at max. I mean, but um, you never have to pay more than that. I mean, if you already own the other content, then you only got to pay for the expansions that you don't own yet. Uh, Swan Knight is bringing up Baldur's Gate three. I have not played a single Baldur's Gate game. <laughs> I have no opinion on it, but I do want to play them. But it is crazy because it's been many, many years since we've had a Baldur's Gate game. So that's cool. Mm. They work surprisingly well on the tablets if you want a on-the-go experience with it. I will I will definitely play them one day, especially Baldur's Gate 2. Um, I think that's it. Did you guys have anything else you thought of? I mean, the only other, bring up? I mean uh, aside from the Tales game, which we, you know, I, I don't really have too many thoughts eh, on. The... Fetch it. I hate, I hate Tales. I hate Tales. <laughs> The, for all the, the same reasons that I don't like Fire Emblem now, for all the same reasons I, I had the same feeling about Astral Chain and Deus Ex Machina, or whatever the freak yeah. they're calling that, Demon Ex Machina. It's yeah. too anime, man. It's just way too anime. My main, right. my main thing with Tales of Arise is actually the name, because I'm just like Tales of Arise. What does that even mean? Like Arise, that's not, that's not a grammatical structure. Like there's a, I the aesthetic the name, is what uh, attracted the... me to the. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I prefer the name uh, Tales of a Budget. <laughs> <laughs> this actually looks like the first decently budget Tales game yeah. in a long time. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the biggest thing, is I've always felt when I go see a, when I go see a Tales game, when I go play a Tales game, it always feels as if it's, uh, you know, barely that generation. And then when you look at this, it's I was actually very, very surprised uh, the 
quality of the um, the textures and and everything like that. It just looks really really polished. Yeah. But I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool. And the other game, I am mildly interested. I'm following, but I'm not sure if I'm going to purchase day one. Still haven't sold me. Was uh, Oninaki? I like the trailer trailers that they're showing, but uh, Tokyo RPG Factory, man, they, they burnt me with that uh, Lost Sphere, fifty dollars. So I'm I I like what I see in it. I like the 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 graphical style of it. I like all the improvements they've made and the, the bigger budget. But the, the only thing is the story just seems very generic. I've been watching some of the the reveals of the characters and. There's one character in particular, her name's Lynn. And the thing about her past is a mysterious girl who appeared to Kagachi in his youth. Years later, they meet again, though she has not aged a day. <laughs> it's so like, that's in like 80% of JRPGs. You, <laughs> so like, it, it just, oh, but when I see the 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 amount of uh, improvement that the trailer looks to have, it, it gets me mildly interested but i am going to wait this time well, and not uh, pick it up on day one that's been the problem we've been calling out rpg factory for for since uh the creation uh, well since um what was the first game again satsuna. Uh, I, uh, am satsuna. Satsuna. I am satsuna is just it's just the storytelling the storytelling needs an upgrade and otherwise <laughs> these games would be pretty good but I like the I like the combat in Oninaki. I I think that moving towards more of that action uh, RPG direction, they've sort of separated themselves from saying we're going to create games that feel like the classics you grew up with. I think that was a mistake mm -hmm. because they clearly didn't have the chops to make anything that nearly rivals Chrono Trigger. But now it seems like they're kind of just doing their own thing for the first time, which is a good idea. To, uh, which I think I think will turn out better, but like you yeah. said, I'm still worried about their storytelling. The thing is, these guys they always focus on the gameplay, and that's so this game will come out, and everyone will say, "Oh, it looks like this old game. It, it looks like the games we grew up with." But then you play it, and the writing's not there, the story's not there. It's just not anywhere that's near. And that's been a theme with JRPGs for the last you know decade plus, and I I just haven't. I haven't been really, I, I haven't been impressed <laughs> with with very many Japanese games. There have been some some zone. here and there that yeah. really shined, like Xenoblade, Xenoblade 1. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, for the most part, they're all the exact same freaking thing. Anime. It's almost as if they take Anime. the... <laughs> they're, they're very good at taking feedback, but they don't take the correct feedback, right? So mm. they, took, they took feedback from I Am Satsuna, and they said, okay, the environments are all snowy. Let's let's create Lost Sphere. Let's have more color, and they did more that. color being brown and a little bit green. <laughs> <laughs> but but they didn't they didn't work on the the, the subpar story in Setsuna. In yeah. fact, I think I like Lost Sphere is a little bit proper color. Yeah, but at least it, but it, it was. I think the story was even more generic than yeah, uh, Setsuna. So I, it's you know like Tom was saying, this new game they'll probably work on the gameplay even more. They worked on the aesthetic even more. The artwork is even a, a higher quality, a lot more interesting to look at. But I just look at the story and I'm like, you guys didn't take any hints from what people complained about with the other games. So I'm a little apprehensive, but I am interested. It looks like they're they're putting forth a uh, new effort here with this game. So I got one last thing I can mention. Go for it. The Grandia HD remasters were there. Oh yeah, and they have that, about that. that horrible freaking smoothing filter yes, on you. the characters. 
Jesus Christ, yeah. why does anyone do that? That's the first thing I noticed when I saw Grandia 1. Grandia 2 is just the port of the yeah. HD that's already on Steam. But the uh, first one, I don't even know. Like, I forgot. Uh, is it widescreen they added to it? No, no, it wasn't. It was 4x3. Oh, it's 4x3? Okay. They did maintain the 60 FPS battles, which I was surprised by. Mm, watch well, this okay. there. It looks terrible. <laughs> I mean, the smoothing filter, I mean, it's definitely there, but... Um, if you can if turn you, that off, want, I'll be happy. Yeah, I mean, if it's for a portable experience, play it on the Wii, not the Wii, the Switch. Um, for that type of experience, I think I can overlook something like that. But the thing is, like, I've I see that occasionally that that smoothing filter look, and I've never met somebody in person. I don't know if you all have that told me that's what they preferred or that's what they liked. So I, when I look at stuff like that, I, I'm, I'm like, who is the person that said like, yeah, this looks great. Where is that guy? I want to meet I, that guy. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I think it's the people that don't care. I think it's the people that don't have a preference because the people that have a preference will say either, well, will usually say definitely no filter or I want this specific filter. But the people who don't care generally don't even mess with it at all. And then they just end up going with that. And It just right. comes off as lazy to me when mm -hmm. I see it. Yeah, it just doesn't look good, man. Um, someone brought up Panzer Dragoon. We did talk about that earlier, but uh, anyone have had any final thoughts on Panzer Dragoon remake? I was surprised. Yeah, I didn't expect it at all. I thought it was a dead series, but I'm glad to see it, it come back. I hope it, I hope it was announced. Success. It was announced a while ago that they were remaking oh, really? the first two. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. remember that. But this was the first time we'd seen gameplay footage, so. I was mostly concerned about how faithful they would be because the original games were so unique. Their art style, the world, the music. So those are the main things I'm concerned about that they can keep that faithful. And so far I thought it looked I thought it looked pretty good. So I had heard the name Panzer Tragoon in the past. I figured it was an RPG. It was, it was Saga. Time. Saga is an RPG. That's the Panzer Tragoon Saga. That's the third game in the series, and it's amazing. Okay. And if you played it, it would be one of your favorite RPGs ever. Oh, I got to put on the list. Statements. But I didn't realize it was more, though this at least was more of like a Star Fox type of shooter. Yeah, go it's by, uh, on rails. Go I like that. Sega Saturn if you want to play Saga. Yep, this is true. I, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm interested, though, because uh, Star Fox 64 is one of my favorite games of all time. If it's yeah, anywhere same. near the quality of a shooter as that, then I'm on board. It's really good. The unique thing about Panzer Dragoon is that you're not actually technically controlling the dragon. You're controlling the dude who's riding on top of the dragon. Uh, so because of that, you can turn your view around 360 degrees so that if enemies are coming behind you or along the side, you can change your perspective and shoot at them. So there, there's a bit of a dynamic to the gameplay in that way. I don't know if any of you have an Xbox One, but if you do, Panzer Dragoon Orta, mm -hmm. I, I don't know... I, I need to play the game again, but when I played it, I had a ton of fun with it. I mean that that is a good like if you're looking for like a a good Star Fox like game, like the Panzer Dragoon Order was great. I I've admittedly haven't, um, I've tried Saga, and a little bit of the first two, but I never really got deep in them. So I really I hope this is the opportunity to do so. Yeah, Saga is just mind blowing. It's just I don't know how a game can be that good. <laughs> Well, there's another one I gotta play, I guess. Mm. All right, guys, we've been going for a super long time. Thank you for sticking with me. 
It's yeah. been fun. Uh, make sure everyone to follow the Phoenix Edge RPG channel on YouTube. That's and Phoenix with a P H O E N I X, not the Poenix. Final... Poenix <laughs> Edge RPG. <laughs> the, cor- yeah. the correct pronunciation. We're debating on to use the uh, you know, like the Ted Woolsey Phoenix down Thanks. like Phoenix name or the that, but um if you want to look for us um it's as simple as typing phoenix edge and youtube and our page will pop right up yep we do follow uh, their podcast they they focus uh specifically on rpgs it's an rpg podcast right in the name yep um dude mcguy or tom do you have anything you'd like people to check out or are you good <laughs> yeah not really <laughs> just no we just lurk in the discord so yeah Come, 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 come join us talk. and chat it up. Yeah, yeah come yeah. talk to these guys in the Discord. As always, the Discord link is in the description on YouTube or uh, even the audio-only versions. Um, Till next week, thanks for joining us. Peace out, everybody. Peace, guys. See you. It's been fun. Thank you.